0: Hey y'all, it's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. We talk about Arkham Horror. Yes, I said we because I joined Marty and my younger brother joins us and we review the expansion of Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. We go through the scenarios, shots in the dark. Dead of night. It was so exciting. We will tell you the mechanics of the game. We will tell you. Well, I want to tell some spoilers, but we can't give away too many spoilers. Vanessa. But it was so exciting. Vanessa. What?
1: What? We talk about other stuff besides besides Arkham Horror.
0: On your episodes, you talk about other stuff.
1: Yeah. What what do y'all talk about? Well, we also have Tony's family joining to talk about the Alpha from Bicycle Games. They review Ticket to Ride Japan. We talk about a demo we played of City Builder Ancient World. And we talk about how the lack of cons may affect publishers and the fans. So we do talk about other stuff. Yeah, but we
0: had the mythos back. We had the encounter phase. We had the action phase. Oh, I played with Kate, and okay. she was so awesome. Oh, okay. And, and and we did it through Zoom, oh and it was extra exciting. And we had an <laughs> epic experience, and there was a lot of dice rolling.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, episode 199. Lonely people, this is Marty. This is Tony. <laughs> okay, and let, let me just walk through the pre-record checklist as we're recording Tony because in last episode I had some audio issues so here we go um, I have power I'm not running on battery on the recorder uh, it is on uh, the timer is running to show that I am really recording I have three hours left on this card this isn't the secret cabal so I won't need any of that and I have the right mic input selected I think we're good
2: all right, so I'm looking good here. I've got a record button lit up red that shows I'm recording, time's running. I am plugged in, does not show battery indication, and I have over 14 hours left on my card. So not only could I do Secret Cabal, but I could also do Dice Hate Me or <laughs> and the Geek All-Stars. All stars <laughs> All of them
1: to get well. And if you could maybe do two of those three. Yes.
2: I could get all those long running podcasts, which are awesome. Are we ready to go for episode number 199? One away from 200. That's right. I can't believe it. 200
1: episodes. I have no clue what we're going to be doing, oh. but uh,
2: I guess we have a couple of weeks to figure it out. As always, we are well prepared here at Rolling Dice and Taking Names. We will throw 200 to the wind, see what happens. Uh, you know what? It is summer. I am. I was spreading some mulch. Life was good. M- my daughter's fixing to head back to Tulsa, and you will get to hear. Rebecca will grace us with her presence in this recording. I'm so excited. Oh, is she going to do a review with you? Uh, yes, because we went to the beach before it became crowded, and it wasn't crowded because it was 60 degrees. God, it was cold, but that's all right. And she brought her new boyfriend. Mm. That's right. The boyfriend came and met me. And how did that go? Well, you have three boys. Correct. W- which do you think is harder? Uh, so when Adam had uh, the girlfriend, was he nervous meeting the girlfriend's parents? I'm not sure. Because you're oblivious, because you're the dad of three boys. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 pretty much it.
1: It's like, a, I assume he's met them. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's probably a son-mother uh, thing they probably talked
2: about. We did a litmus test for him. We played oh, what was that? We played some board games. He was very excited to play some board games. So I said, "Okay, I'll, I'll have a checkbox there." He was okay. answering the pre-questionnaire correctly. I was asking him various questions about movies. And right. he, and he got a, a strike against him because, "Did you know the Princess Bride is a Christmas movie?" Hold on. Let me think about this.
1: I 100% disagree that it's a Christmas movie. I've never I'm trying to think if I've ever heard
2: anybody claim it's a Christmas movie and this is the first time I've ever heard it. So, watch the start of it and you okay. will, and you'll see Peter Falk give Fred yes. Savage a present wrapped in Christmas paper. I always thought it was his birthday, but go ahead and behind him you will see pictures of Santa and he's sick because he's missing out at the school party and you will see all these Christmas decorations. And therefore, if Die Hard can classify, there you go.
1: I did not realize that. but Now that you've explained that, now I, I could see where it could be that. It's just one of those things that I never hear anybody say, hey, it's
2: Christmas time. Let's watch Princess Bride. That's because it's on constantly. <laughs> I mean, it's one of my favorites. I, <laughs> Oh, hey, here's the thing.
1: That's a litmus test just in itself. Do you like Princess Bride? And if there's any human out there that doesn't like it, well, they need to move to like a different planet or something.
2: Uh, he did pass the quiz about um, when do you add bacon to these ingre- or into these dishes? Give me this test because I'm not sure. Um, it was mac and cheese. It was...
1: What, I mean, do you add bacon to mac and cheese? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say no.
2: You failed. You add bacon to everything.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I can, maybe I should say I've never heard of people adding bacon to mac and cheese, but you're correct. Bacon
2: works in anything. Bacon works on donuts. Have you ever had a bacon donut? Here in Charlotte, there is the, um, oh, what is that donut shop? They add bacon to it. And yes, I've baked bacon flavored glaze, all that. I'm not a fan, okay, but, but a lot of people are. Bacon Mm -hmm. to cinnamon rolls. I've seen bacon can be added to anything, and that's okay. But he wanted to play one of Donna's favorite, which was Pandemic. Ah, well, it seems appropriate with the times. Absolutely. And we lost two times and finally won on the third. And Marty, for Pandemic, nothing against the game. It's still an outstanding game. Think about what it did for the board game hobby. But it's lost a little luster for me.
1: Well, I mean, you've, man, how many games do you think you've logged of Pandemic since you've owned it?
2: Log is probably one-third what
1: I've played. Right. I mean, over a hundred? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, that's tough for a game to have that sort of staying power, even something as as much as Pandemic. So I can understand losing a little lackluster after a while.
2: And I know we kid with me about saying repetitive, but... I. Maybe uh, over 11 years, a lot more has come out to challenge it. I mean, Mm. and I think Pandemic Legacy has even taken some of the stripe off that candy cane. Oh, because you enjoyed Legacy so much? Exactly. I mean, and think about it, didn't you? Oh, I I loved it. But you know, that's also why I really
1: liked um, the Pandemic theme. Oh my gosh, is it Fall of Rome? Mm-hmm. What what's, what I can't remember the name of it. it's the historical based one where you have uh, different factions coming into Italy trying to overrun and you're trying to protect, even though the mechanics are pandemic ish, it had enough twist to made it feel different and
2: unique. And the theme was really cool. We did the same thing over and over and over. And in the three games, it was OK. It finally worked. The cards finally worked for us and we were able to cure everything. The mm-hmm. draw deck came out correctly that we were able to, to get together, get a research center dropped, meet up. Even in the final one, I said, okay, you're not going to pick your roles. Here are your roles because this is the third time it's time to win. Oh, so you alpha gamed. Oh, I did. I was like, hey. <laughs> I even got yelled at for it, but that's okay. Uh, was that
1: from your wife? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: who is also going to come back after all that praise she received for her Nova Luna review. Uh, yeah, I tell you, y'all got me excited about
1: that. And since we've recorded that episode, Nova Luna was nominated for a Spiel des Arts Award.
2: Well-deserving. You and I need to sit down and play that.
1: I, I, yeah, I cannot wait to play that. And the other game that we had talked about playing virtually... One, it was nominated for the Spiel des Jars, which is more heavy game. And that's King's Dilemma, which is a game that we said we'd love to play it, but not necessarily online. I'd love to play it in person. And now that it's up for an award, I can see why that game would be up. It does have a unique feeling to it.
2: So from that standpoint, I was like, it's, it's been nominated. So obviously it wasn't the game. It was the interaction we had that evening. From the standpoint of being distant, you know?
1: Yeah, no, totally. It was not the game at all. It was just, I wanted to see a board, man. I wanted to hold the cards. I wanted to, you know, it's that sort of thing. When you negotiate and stuff, you want to look somebody in the eye, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, man, come on. You know, it's like, come come side with me. And then when, I don't know. It's just one of those, when it's a social type game, you want to play in a real social setting.
2: Yeah, And it didn't stop the testing of the boyfriend, did not stop because- Oh, we went on beyond that? Oh, good gosh, yes. He played Ticket to Ride Japan with us. What is the difference with Japan? Well, the biggest thing is there's the bullet train. Okay. And you only have 20 trains. So it's fast. It's a fast okay. moving game. And as you will hear later that basically, if you don't be part of the bullet train build, you can have a lot of negative points and the map is very compressed we enjoyed it. Spoiler.
1: Is, is that what uh, Donna's going to come on with you and talk to you about?
2: Yeah, she's going to come on and Rebecca will be on with that. And then Rebecca will also be doing another one from Bicycle called The Alpha, which I, you know, they asked if we'd be interested in. I said, of course, it's about wolves. A well, fine, wolf pack.
1: Fine. Then then I'm going to get uh, uh, who's in there. Hey, uh, 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 Vanessa. Yeah. You want to record a uh, episode with us talking about Arkham Horror? She nodded her head. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got the dogs riled up yelling out in there like that. But uh, so we're going to be talking about the expansion that we just finished playing Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. And is that Zeke
2: saying he agrees with that statement?
1: Uh, Yes. As soon as I started yelling downstairs or over there to her, the dogs went a little crazy. Because they are protective of her.
2: No, they just want to play with each other. It's it's playtime for them. Oh, okay. We dropped Lorenzo on the table.
1: Hold on. Lorenzo, how magnifico!
2: Okay, I just had to do it. It's it been too long, been way too been. long. I mm-hmm. uh, do. You,
1: okay, let me ask you this: uh, You said that uh, pandemic has lost a little uh, shine for you. Does Lorenzo still meet your oh. qualities? You still like it, huh? Oh, oh yeah. And
2: my daughter, oh, she was almost disowned, but she played the game brilliantly. Why was she disowned? So you know how tight this game is, mm-hmm.
1: and this is the game from uh, uh, um, I guess
2: Simon. Simon, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Okay. Sometimes these game changes. <laughs> you know who well, publishes and stuff. There's a but, list of publishers, but we yeah. were playing, and, and this is the uh, the uh, basically the the dice worker placement type game.
2: Absolutely, you you roll the three dice. They have values on them, and those values will then trans, trans- over to your workers. And mm-hmm. then you also have the neutral worker who is a zero and, yeah. you, and you and you can spend um, the servants to be able to change your dice manipulation. And the yeah. big thing is after you build that engine, when you place uh, someone in there, there only one person who can go to the engine run spot at the value of the dice. Everybody else gets a penalty. Right. So going into the final phase, she and I, the, the boyfriend was, this was his first Engine building game. Very first one. So I was like, I'm not worried about you. But I am worried about her. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So I should have been worried about him. Okay. Because what happened in the final phase of the final age was I said, okay, the only thing that can hurt me is if my daughter rolls anything that does not have at least four or more. All right. Four or more is going to kill. I mean, four or less, uh, three or less is going to kill my engine. Kill it. Because I had no servants here, the little purple people. She rolled those dice. They came out one, two, and three. I oh. said, you got to be kidding. Unreal. So, But in a way, you said you can manipulate the dice and get it, increase the value? If you have the purple people, The, the uh. you can do it. I did not have any. Mm. So I needed the three to be a four, but I needed the servant to add one. So I had to go to the spot on the board where you get five servants. Mm-hmm. And then that would have allowed me, once I did that, I could have manipulated the dice, picked this one card up, which would then allow me to run my engine. And then I could have produced all the resources I needed for my next run, which would have been to get the victory points. Right. So I did that. My daughter comes, takes that card from me. She knew I needed that card, and I came in last place. I was so embarrassed. Still love the game. One of my favorite game mechanics is engine building. And to me,
1: Lorenzo is one of those that has the most satisfying feeling when you run that engine and you have it built correctly. Man, there is just something satisfying about getting the right die and starting that little engine off and going down the cards, and this gives you this, which triggers this, which does this, which does that. It is so well done. And you know, the Lorenzo card game also kind of gave that feeling too, mm-hmm. which is another solid game.
2: Oh yeah. I was I was like, it has been too long for this. I had forgotten how tight it was, how intense it is. Cause you know, when you're in the towers, you have to and someone else is there, you have to pay three coin. And I had forgotten, right. and I had forgotten that rule. And I'm reading through the rules, getting a quick update. I'm like, "Oh man, am I going to be able to teach them this game in time?" Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't want to do, belabor the teach, and then lose interest in it because it is such a solid game. And I was like, "And we didn't play with the leaders, and we didn't play with the expansion, which was fine because it was the first time." That was actually going to be the next question. I was sitting there going, "I'm going to ask him if he played the expansion, but uh, you
1: got to answer it before." Uh- Ask that question.
2: It, it was base. <gasps> Lorenzo! That's what it was. I love it. So, did he pass the test then? Yes, because the final game was strike and he loved it. <laughs> well, seal of, of approval.
1: It? Boom! <laughs> <laughs> oh, which now makes me sad because we're going to talk about it later, how the fact that Gen Con was canceled, which ruins our streak of having a strike tournament for 2020. And there's, it messes it up on multiple levels, which we'll, we'll talk about later, but
2: all right. So I guess, I guess he's a keeper, huh? He's a power lifter. So as a daddy with a little girl, I know she's safe. (laughs) Nobody going to mess with this boy.
1: Well, dad gum, you got a lot of uh, games in there. A lot, probably more than I did. Now, Vanessa and I did sit down and play a game. So a lot of virtual cons are going on right now. And uh, in May, CMON had a virtual con. You know, they was going to have their CMON Expo. It had to be canceled. So instead, they just did a little virtual event. And they just said, "Hey, share you know some games that you're playing this weekend." And Vanessa saw that on Instagram. She said, "We should pull out a CMON game and uh, play it." And I said, "Zombie side?" She went, "Nope." I said, "Okay." Um, "Arcadia Quest?" She went, "Nope." I said, all right, let me go see what else is in the library. And I happened to find the game Guilds of Cadwallon, which is one of the very first Seamond games I ever played. I played it like in 2012 or 2013 when I was at Mace, which is a local convention here in Charlotte. Back then it was cool. Many or not used to send reps here to show off some of their games. And one of them was this Guilds of Cadwallon. Uh, this was early on. when Vanessa's just getting into games and everything like that. And she liked this one. So I got a copy of it and we haven't touched it in years. So I got it out and relearned it. And that is still a fun little quick solid game. It, it uh, consists of you putting out um, all these tiles down on the board. You have workers that you place between two tiles mm-hmm. and you're trying to take over a tile that you're adjacent to. But if you put a worker between two tiles, the one that you're trying to take over, the one that's on the opposite side could give it an attack bonus or a defense bonus or strength bonus. And you add up all the workers around the the edges of the card and whoever has the highest gets that card. And it's like a set collection sort of thing because the more you get of a particular guild, uh, you get more points for those in a set at the end of the game. There are some cards that are negative points, so you don't want to collect those at all. So you try to make sure you don't get those because they count negative points at the end. We play in about 20 minutes. It's one of those that you're not going to have a lot of downtime. Um, it's fast. It's easy to teach. It's one of those that kind of stands the test of time. You know how when there are games are now eight years old? Mm-hmm. And they show their age and you play it and it's like, eh, you can tell there, there's just better games out there. This still fits that small box card game, get out on the table and play the 20, 30 minutes. So I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad I found that down in the bottom of a drawer and pulled it out. And we played it again. That's Guilds of Catawallon. I don't even know if it's still in print.
2: I think I've played it maybe once or twice a long, long time ago, man. Well, I'm going to look and see if it's still in print. i we to see if
1: it's at miniature market. Here, you hear the click, 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 click. I'm, I'm hearing more. that. Are you doing a search while we're recording? This is all editable. Jeez. One That's quick not- cut and this is... See, it's gone. You didn't hear any of that. The special edition is still in stock. Now I want the special edition. What's the what? special edition? Oh, it's a clearance. Hold on. What's so cool about this one? It probably has better, better looking pawns and stuff. Probably more cards. Mm. Anyway... Yeah, it's $32.40. Only two left. So it's probably one of those that they're not going to be making anymore, but it's still out there.
2: Is that all you did?
1: As far as what?
2: It's playing games. I'm sure you got other games in. That's
1: pretty much it. (laughs) (laughs) You played a lot more than I did, dude. Now, like I said... Uh, Vanessa is going to be coming on with me later to talk about the Arkham Horror third edition expansion that we played that we played over zoom with her uh, brother in Mississippi. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So that was over the, since we recorded, that was probably, you know, 10 hours of gaming right there by
2: itself. Oh, I bet. I bet that was long uh, sitting in that chair playing that, but you had fun. Oh, heck yeah. We had fun. Oh yeah, we had fun.
1: Vanessa really gets into it. Well, all of us get into the theme and everything. That really helps.
2: The only other thing I was going to mention about that whole boyfriend challenge was the fact that something happened out of that when I was putting Lorenzo back in the box. Back in the box. Back in the box.
1: Does anybody even get in that reference? Probably we not. We do that. We've gone. We've said that lots. We go like back in the bull. Beck and Beck and, Bull. Bull. and probably, I was sitting there going, that is probably a really obscure movie for a lot of people. But hey, if you're listening to this and you know the movie that we're referring to, hit us up on Twitter. Beckin'
2: Bull. Beckin' Bull. Beckin' Bull. Beck Bull. Beck Bull. Not that tight. Oh, anyway. <laughs> so I was putting all the pieces. I would organized, did everything, had my game trays out there, put the pieces in there. I had it back in the box the way I wanted it. And I went to put the lid back on the top of the, bo- on the box, and I flipped it over, and I put everything in the top of the box, not the bottom of the box. And Rebecca had her camera out, and she snapped a picture of it. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me, because I just spent time doing this, right? So I share it out on Twitter and Instagram, and anything from Tony underscore RDTN that gets more than 10 likes, I'm happy with. Because, you know, I, I tweet so much. But he says that sarcastically. Thank you. And this, 200 plus likes. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> My misery is funny?
1: <laughs> it was funny. It really captured the more. I had like. <laughs> He had a lot of retweets too from a lot of different people. It was funny. I think on Instagram, he had over a hundred likes on it because everybody, it's not that your misery is funny. It's that everybody can relate. And it's one of those things that when it happens, it's not one of those things you just talk about. You just shake your head and go, oh my gosh. And you deal with it and move on. But then you realize, oh, other people have done it too. You feel like an idiot because I've done it too. And the worst is like you. When you meticulously put things back in the bags, and if you have expansions and you get them fitting in there, and then you do that, and you realize, oh, that's the lid, mm. and then at that point you just don't care anymore. It's like just. Turn it over and put it back in the bottom of the box. Shove the box back on. Shove it back in the shelf. I just don't care.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the box wouldn't close because I tried to do that. And I was like, and so, yes, that was fun. But it got me thinking, you know what I'm going to do here? Beautiful spring weekend. We're hanging out. Not, you know, I've finished up all the chores. I'm going to go and I am going to take the shrink off some of the games I've never played and get them organized because that is one of the dilemmas that it comes to bringing a game off the shelf. You know, I, I, I'm going to do this. So I am prepared so that I can open it. I'll look over the rules. Maybe I'll get it played. Maybe I won't, but at least it's organized to where I won't spend time punching it because I'm not going to have a whole bunch of people come up and show up at my house and expect them to punch it like some people. Hey, it's free labor. So I did that with a bunch of games and I was getting them organized, putting them in the gamer trays that I have, putting them in my bags, labeling the black bags, putting all the setup components, you know, how, oh, this person gets five coins, so write five coins on it and do all that. So it's all set up. So whenever we get back together and we have enough people, I have Blackout Hong Kong ready to go. And you, I think, will enjoy this game a
1: lot. I am looking for it. Dude, we got a lot of games that I'm really excited to get to. I've heard really good things about that. Love the designer because it's Mr. Fister, Alexander Fister. So <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I thought that's what it was. But I didn't <laughs> want to say for some reason I get Lacerda and Fister games crisscrossed. Mm. for some reason I, I get them i get them mixed up every once in a while I, I cannot wait to to try that so that that's that's smart taking the shrink off and getting stuff ready there's there's several games that i also
2: need to do the same thing myself we were on a tear got to play one more game and then i'm done with all this doing the thing i'm not a big fan of talking about all the games you have played at the beginning of a show but we're doing it anyway we played a game from indie boards, and cards called crossed words. Now, have you heard of this? I have not. All right, so it plays up to six. So you know, I'm always looking for that six player game. I don't know why in this time and age you're looking for a six player game. There's hope. All those lonely lonely people will eventually get back together. Got it. So we played this, not with six, but we did play it with five. We had um, some people actually ventured out and we maintained social distance and then hand sanitized everybody and did all that good stuff. But this game, you are given four categories starts with a letter, uh-huh. miscellaneous things and proper nouns. Those are the four cards. And it lays out in a tic-tac-toe style grid across the three rows and three columns. And so for uh-huh. instance, in the very first and, The first row, you'll have it say, start with letter G. And then, so all in that row, you have to come up with words that start with the letter G. But in the columns, you may have something like this: proper noun, like cities, or buildings, or bands and musicians. And the object is, you've got nine little circles that you're going to write your answers on, and you're trying to write as quickly as you can and not write what other people are putting in there. Okay. So there was one that we had that crossed. It said fictional characters with historical characters, and they were like, "How can that happen?" And I said, "Your answer can be can include part of a word that ma- matches that." It, it was a weird combination. All right. So we were playing it. It was it was a brain burner. I was surprised at how much we had a lot of fun with it, especially revealing the answers. Like, a, a famous duo that starts with the letter Y. Give me one. A famous duo that starts? Starts with Y, famous duo or trio. Oh, yeah, duo or trio. Uh-huh. Did you come up with one really quick? Yes, I did. A yogi and Boo Boo. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am still can't think of another one. Bands or musicians, and then you go across, and it was duo or trio. Oh, just in general? In general. So you would write those down. And if you couldn't come up with the right answer, people would vote and say, hey, you know, that's not a good answer. Or I don't, that's not right. It doesn't fit the category because it has to be this. And you score points so that if no one, if you have a unique answer, then you count the number of discs you scored in that nine. If you can get nine, you don't. And whoever has the most discs will get three points then the next person gets two points and the next person gets one point and you play to seven. So you're playing over these rounds. Okay. It was, it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. We did not set the timer on If The first person to complete all nine starts counting down and you have to finish up. So if you don't get to place all yours in your SOL, I was just getting it in. It was very interesting. I'd like to give that try with you because you are a brilliant man who could come up with some of these uh, combos.
1: Well, well yeah, that, see how quickly I came up with a uh, trio or duo that starts with
2: Y? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or this was one that they gave an example animal, musician, or band. Animal name? It's an animal. Give me an animal that's also a mus- musician or band. Animals. The animals. The Beatles. The Turtles. Well, except exactly. it's
1: spelled B E A T
2: L. And that's fine. They say oh, homonyms are fi- homonyms are fine. Homonym.
1: <laughs> you never watched Thirty Rock, did you? No, I did not. Dang it! <laughs> they had a they had an ongoing game show called Homonyms, and um, never mind. It was it was just a funny bit. If you watch Thirty Rock, you're laughing in your head right now because you remember that remember that bit. Even though that was, I didn't get to play a lot of physical. Uh, board games, uh, we did get to do some online gaming again. You and I have gone like for the past three weeks uh, playing some online Undaunted Normandy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you had missed a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we got all three of us, me, you, the designer David Thompson on to play on our stream. You can go check it out on YouTube and you and David play the third scenario of Undaunted Normandy. And um,
2: I really enjoyed watching you guys play. That was That was a solid game y'all played. No, it wasn't. He wiped the field with me. Yeah. Well you should have played nice. more I know. You should have played more scouts. Well, as another tip, you should have done this. As another well, you designed the game, didn't you? Okay then. <laughs> it would have been helpful if to provide that at the beginning. Well, I wouldn't have won then. Now he didn't say any of this, but that's okay. Oh, no, he
1: was being super nice. David's a great guy. Mm-hmm. We and this is all kind of in preparation for um undaunted North Africa that's coming out. Uh, and we're looking at possibly streaming uh, a, a session of that on there. Uh, you and I also got a chance to check out an early release of Blood Rage um, on the PC. Uh, we got early keys to this, and this was actually a Kickstarter that was done last year to to come out the digital port of the game. You and I didn't have a chance to play together online uh, because we we couldn't uh, get the friends thing working. And kudos to the developers. I, I contacted them and said, we're getting ready to record. Uh, you and I wanted to play a multiplayer game. They said they're looking into it. There's an issue. They're looking into it. So hopefully by the time the game comes out, it's not out yet. It's supposed to be out the end of this month, end of May. Uh, that'll be that'll be working. But you and I got to play, uh, just check out the game and play some single player game with it. Yes, we did. It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Oh my gosh. It does look good. It's It's not one of those games where it's just... They take like a snapshot of the board, and that's what you're playing on. It looks like a really nice map of the board from Blood Rage.
2: You got this sea monster sailing around the island. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's that's nice. And the, the cards, the artwork is there. They did a great job of that.
1: Yep, same, same artwork and everything. I always judge a lot of uh, these uh, v- uh, board game adaptations to digital based on the tutorial how was the tutorial? I hadn't played Blood Rage in a while, but I used to be obsessed with it. So I went through the tutorial just to kind of get refreshed. And it was enough to get me back on board. I felt like there was one of those things that if I had never played before, I might be a little lost. I'm not sure what you thought of the tutorial.
2: It brought back some stuff, the rage and things like that. But I felt like it was because when I went in and played this the against the AI, yeah, I felt like I had missed some stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, did the tutorial teach me that? Where did I miss this? Even said in the tutorial, this may not be the actual phases of how things work.
1: That's what kind of threw me off too, because it doesn't like teach you. It's like at the beginning, you you play through three ages. At the beginning of the ages is what you do. Instead, it kind of gave you some, well, here's how this works. Here's how this card work. Here's how this action work. And then at the end it said, okay, by the way, those cards we just told you about, Actually, at the beginning of each age, you're going to draft those cards mm-hmm. as opposed to doing that first.
2: Yes. And when I was playing against the computer, I, I, I will say this. You need to have a pretty powerful computer from a graphic engine because, like I said, it's beautiful. And my computer was sitting there, who was having no problems with Guild Wars 2, was sitting there struggling a little bit. But to be fair, how, how old is your computer? So that's four plus one plus one. It's six
1: years old. Probably don't even know what kind of graphic card it has.
2: It's a des- desktop or laptop. It's a it's a laptop that keeps flashing up your Windows license, fixing to res- uh, <laughs> go bye bye. I'm like, what kind so, of crap is this?
1: <laughs> so anyway, it's it's an older machine. So I, my machine's like two years old. I was running it on Ultra graphics without any problems whatsoever. So yeah, I guess if you want to you know crank up the graphics and everything and get everything, you you need to have something that's like newer than six years old and not like a. A laptop from six years ago that you can upgrade,
2: but it still played, uh, to be, f- to be yeah. very fair, it still played. I was still able to click. And, and I think there was just some images that were slow to load and that's on top of that's on my, but I still from the game itself, it, once I got in playing, I was remembering what it was, how to play the game, what I needed to do. And I was like, okay, that's pretty intuitive. They did a good job with, uh, with that part of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the UI, I think, is really well done. When you're drafting cards, it presents you all the cards. You pick the one that you want, and then you get the next person's leftover cards. Pick one to all. You all have six, and then you take turns, and you take your action. If you click on a circle in one of the regions, it'll say, do you want to deploy a warrior? Do you want to deploy your leader or whatever? It tells you if it's a warrior, it costs one rage. Leaders are free. You pick the one that you want. goes on to the next person's turn, gets back to you. It's like, oh, you're thinking about maybe I want to pillage. So you pick the region, just click on it, and it'll start the whole pillage mechanic. It goes around ask everybody, do you want to join? Do you want to bring in people? When it goes to the battle phase, it says, which of the cards do you want to play? It resolves the battle for you, lets you know the the battle results. You can see what cards you got to keep, what cards you used, who sent to Valhalla. You know, you could just play a card on your turn and upgrade a quest card or whatever. The only thing is that I kind of missed was the thing I loved about the player board and blood rage is everything was on the board. It told you exactly what you need to do. How much does it cost to pillage, which is free? How much does it cost to play a leader or a, uh, a warrior, uh, how much does it cost to, to make a movement because you can just move guys across the board and, you know it costs a rage there it was just like a little key on the player board that kind of reminded me of all the different actions that were available to me I just wish there was some way I could really kind of quick reference that to remember what my options were It's like oh yeah I can either pillage or play a card or or move or I can deploy or start a pillage et etc I just kind of wish those actions were quick for me to go go see as I was relearning the game.
2: Uh, yes, and sometimes the cards. When I would go check the cards, I'm like, "Okay, I've got to relearn the colors." Any type of little help is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, p- the player aid, yes, the player aid's missing. And to be quite fair, it's a gorgeous game, a way to play your Blood Rage fix because it is still a incredible popular game. You know, from you know Simon, and for those of you that aren't able to pulled together. I mean, definitely consider looking into it. Uh,
1: it's uh, on pre-order. It's right now like $17. I think the final price is like nineteen ninety-nine. dollars uh, With it being Steam, I'm sure they'll run sales every so often. Oh, another thing that you kind of got used to its one of those things when you play Blood Rage, seeing other people's boards and the stuff that they've upgraded and how much rage and everything they got, you can see... Their, their rage, their horns, and uh, their battle axes, what those values are real quick. But if you want to see what's played in their tableau, you do have to do a quick click so you can see what cards they've deployed, what upgrade cards they have out there, what monsters they have available to them, um, et cetera. So you can quickly see that stuff. But that's one of those things you kind of need to know um, as you're playing the game. So they kind of keep the UI minimal so you can see the whole... Uh, board. When Ragnarok occurs, it's like you got these meteors coming down and Mm. blowing up the regions and everything. So it has all those really cool graphics. It feels more, it looks more like a video game than a board game, which I
2: appreciate. And you appreciate that. What was it? Raiders of, uh, um, North Sea, North Sea, Mm -hmm.
1: Raiders of the North Sea for the exact same reason, because it looked like a video game, but it really was a board game. And I feel the same way. This, uh, the music is good. Uh, oh, the yeah. music is spot on. It's like you know this this tip. Of what you would think for Viking themed music, it's there. This tribal type stuff. It sounds good. Uh, there's a bunch of settings you can change for music, and then for adding seats to the AI. The only thing we didn't really get to try was multiplayer. And it sounds like they're on top of it. They'll get it fixed and we'll play it and we'll come back and talk about it again. Again, this is going to be coming out soon. Thank you for uh, sending us a key to try it out. Uh, This is one of those things I'm more apt to play than something on Tabletopia or Tabletop Simulator because the game is being controlled for me. I haven't got to manually move things around, you know.
2: And it's checking the rules.
1: Yes, there's a nice compendium. So you can always go pull up the rules real quick and look over uh, st- uh, stats and facts and what cards are in age one, what cards are in age two. There's DLC content where you can get all the additional monsters. So all the monsters available to you, but there's a DLC package where you can even add more monsters if you want to use those. So that is Blood Rage Asmodee Digital that is now going to be coming out on Steam. Editor Marty here. Once we finish recording the show, Day Digital got back in touch with me and explained how multiplayer will work for Blood Rage. So I'm just going to read this word for word because, you know, sometimes I get rules and instructions wrong. So here we go. In order to play online, you need to create an Asmodee.net account. And you can do that at account.asmodee.net. Once you created the account... You must link your Steam and Asmodee.net accounts in order to play online with your Steam friends. Once you create an account on the Asmodee.net page, you'll see a place where you can link different accounts like Epic and your Switch. There's one for Steam. So just link those two accounts and then once that's done and your friend has done the same thing, you should be able to add them in the game. So big thanks to Asmodee Digital for that clarification. Now back to the show. But Tony, I also play some other video games and it's one of those things during this time while... I had some free time in my hand. It's like, I'm finally going to finish some games. And even though it came out last year, I finally sat down and finished Link's Awakening, uh, which is a solid Switch game. I'm glad I got through it. I, I played the original, so I, I kind of knew, knew the story and what was going to happen. So that wasn't a surprise or anything. If you haven't played it, I'm not going to spoil the story. But I very much enjoy it. It's an easy game. If you want a Zelda experience that's on the easier side, This is definitely it. It really is not that tough of a game. And I I super enjoyed it. But the big thing is, Tony, after eight years, I finally finished the original story for Guild Wars 2. Good for you. Personal story is done. Personal story is done. And it took forever to get it done. Big thanks to Matt Evans from Board Game Replay, who came and helped me grind out. He was trying to finish up also. And uh, I got it done. And it was one of those things that because it's been eight years and it's always been on my mind, I need to finish it. Sometimes I felt like I wasn't finishing because I didn't want it to be over. And now that it's over, it's like, oh, it's over. I'm kind (laughs) of sad because I kind of played that character and I got him all the way through and I got all the accolades and everything, but there is the expansion and we talked about Guild Wars earlier. There's a new expansion out. So I now can go play through it. Uh, we gave out some keys a couple episodes ago, all those keys, out. I hope those people who won those keys are enjoying it, but that was actually cool to finally get through that. Still the music in that thing is amazing and everything like that. Uh, uh, and I went and checked. I've logged 300 hours in Guild Wars and I actually thought it would have been more. I guess it depends on your perspective. To some people, it's like people may think 300 hours. Holy crap, that's a lot. No, people may think that's nothing. But out of the 300 hours, the characters I used in the personal story had 200 hours. So I'm probably going to retire him for a bit and go play some other people for a while.
2: I still haven't finished Breath of the Wild yet. Please go look how many hours you put into it. I will. I'll do that sometime. I mean, I have done, finished up the four dungeons and now I'm, I don't know why I'm doing this. I mean, I could easily go and f- do the final ball scene and kill it. I've done all the shrines. I'm not going to do the the 900 uh, little leafy looking guys, Korok seeds or whatever. I don't need to do that. And I'm going around practicing, killing the lion guys, having fun with that. And I guess maybe, I don't know. I wanted to... The the if you do all 120 shrines, then you get some special armor. Okay. Mm -hmm. You get the the cap of the wild, the tunic of the wild, the pants of the wild. And so I know how to upgrade that now. Thank you, Internet. And I'm on the hunt for energetic rhino beetles. Okay. If I had known that I needed those as I saw them on the trees, I would have been collecting them. I need (laughs) 30 of them, and (laughs) I think I am at 10. So I'm waiting for the next red moon to show up. So that all regenerates. And they are, of course, in areas where I have to go battle some big bads, but that's fine. I'm happy to do that. Breath of the Wild, the Switch, Curse Your Soul for Making Me Get One. Oh, my heavens. I mean, curse your soul. You know, you've been enjoying it. Oh, I have. But I I will admit, I don't play every night, but I do play every night. Meaning, uh, Donna looks at me, she goes, are you going to go scan your little dolls? (laughs) Yes, I'm going to go scan my little dolls. And so I go in there, I get in the safe spot, and I bought the NFC codes, and I scanned 24 little Amiibos (laughs) just so I can see which weapons I get, see if I get any of the special. I've gotten all the special stuff, so I really don't need any more of that. But that is, that's the hat. I mean, she saw me with the Link's Awakening Amiibo. She goes, that's a little doll. I go, no, it's not. She goes, yes, it is. In fact, if you ever want to
1: borrow Link's Awakening, I'll give it to you and let you play it. It's good. I already have it. I bought it. Oh, (laughs) you just haven't played it because you got to finish Breath of the Wild. Oh, I forgot to mention. So a tie-in to a previous episode in Guild Wars 2. Previous episode, we talked about Chuck and how much we love Chuck. And I said I've been bored, so I've been watching it again. And season two, I just watched an episode today where Chuck and uh, Morgan are walking through the store, and they walk down an aisle, and they have the boxes for Guild Wars Factions and Guild Wars Nightfall on oh, the shelf. Wow, I remember <laughs> ArenaNet
2: was a big sponsor of it.
1: Oh uh, yeah, and the City of Villains was on there too. So they uh, it's NCSoft, NCSoft, it's NCSoft on both of those, and they put it out there. But I didn't realize, i had forgotten that Guild Wars boxes were in the show too. So I thought that was funny. And you know what? We got to play one other game. Uh, Virtually. And this is a game that's going to be coming out in Kickstarter. And we're going to be talking about that next.
2: You hear Marty and I talk about miniaturemarket.com and it's Mm -hmm. incredible sales, deals. Get on the mailing list. Get out there because I'm going to tell you that stuff is expansions, Marty, are posted and sold out. Expansions of anything? It seems like it. For some odd reason, go out there and sold out, sold out, sold out. Pre-orders. Get those pre-orders in for any particular game that you're looking at. But one thing they started, it's on the front page and I, I wanted to sh- throw some love over there, is our good buddy, Rob Oren. He has a virtual paint going on and he has shown you how to paint the models. And now's the perfect time. We talked about crocheting on the last episode, but here Rob is going to turn how to paint minis. Learn how, when Marty and I went to Origins for our first time, we went and took a painting class and had a great time with that. Mm -hmm. Here's Rob giving you detailed instructions. Matter of fact, there is one where he paints with markers. Be sure to go check it out, not only for just tips and tricks, but Rob's a great guy, very entertaining, very engaging. And if you need any paints, miniatures, whatever you need, be sure to go to miniaturemarket.com.
1: Connor Magooey from Inside Up Games contacted me and said, Hey, Marty, got a game coming out. I think you and Tony might be interested in it. We're going to be coming out on Kickstarters. I want to see if you had some time able to sit down with me at Tabletopia. And try it out. So Tony, yesterday, which was Sunday for us, he uh, contacted me. And said, "Would you be interested?" And I contacted you. And I said, "Tony, you got some free time? Would you you be interested?" You said yes. They came back to me. I said, "Okay, well, if Tony's in, I'm in." I said yes. And uh, Connor said, good, when do you want to do it? And I said, oh, we're ready right now. (laughs) He said, oh, okay, right now. So he said, give me five minutes so I can get set up. So he got us into Tabletopia and sat down and taught taught us a new game that's going to be coming out on Kickstarter, June 2nd, City Builder, Ancient World. And Tony, to be honest with you, when he's got into the, the first five minutes of the rules instructions, I thought, you know how sometimes you hear just a little bit of the rules and how it plays? You think, I'm going to like this game. That's what I thought about this
2: game. Not to take away from what you just talked about, but this is not how I remember it coming about. Oh, here we go. What I remember was, hey, Marty, when do you want to record? Well, I can record Sunday or Monday. Oh, okay. Well, let's record Sunday. Okay, we can do that. Oh, wait, I'm not ready. But since you said you could record Sunday, (laughs) why don't you come and play this game with Connor and I? Wait, what? <laughs> what, okay. what kind of what kind of stuff is this you're doing on the co-host here? <laughs> the little switcheroo.
1: So maybe so maybe there was some passive passive aggression going <laughs> on. Maybe I don't know. Uh you know, maybe there's some min- slight manipulation on my part to try to get you into this
2: game. And, and that's fine. It was well worth it. Oh my. Yes, you're right. 5 minutes into it, I'm like I'm understanding this. this is quick. It's got tiles. I'm really liking this. Oh, this game. oh, I understand what he's doing. Connor, stop talking, let's play.
1: <laughs> he He's obviously been play testing this game a lot on ta- tabletopia because he had everything down, man step by step. if you he, he was like, if you're not used to tabletopia, press this button, press this button, do this, do this. What I love, Tony is that uh, let's talk about, there's actually two modes to this game, which is the really exciting part. Let's talk about the competitive mode because that's the mode we actually sat down and played through. On your turn, I love simple rules like this. You place a tile. You have an option of adding settlers or monuments. You discard tiles. You draw back up to three. Your turn is done.
2: That's it. It was so simple, even I could do it. And you did do it. I did do it. But the tiles. Think of them. That first off, it is uh, Rome City, any ancient city, and you're building these districts, and these districts have four monuments in them, four colors in them. Uh, No, hold on. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. A district can have any number of anything,
1: It's however you want to construct it. Mm -hmm. You build a huge district, you build a small district, but there's different types of buildings in there. There's vacant buildings where you can place your commoners and nobles, but then there's landmarks and there's different color landmarks, green, blue, uh, yellow, et cetera, that are required to get certain of the commoners and villagers into
2: that district. And you had to meet certain criteria. That was on a very helpful aid. And the way I looked at it, you know me, I'm always trying to add theme to a game, even if there is no theme, even though you know, Connor's saying there's the theme. I'm like, so I'm trying to attract various nobles or commoners to move into my district based on who's ready to come, who is willing to buy. And Marty, that was the interesting part. You're sharing this tile that has all these color pegs on it. And they're set up randomly at the start of the game, right? Yes. And so when you build a district, if you have a red landmark, another color landmark, and you have a house and you have a commoner ready to go into there, a red one, he can now move in because he likes the color red. So he comes and moves into the house that has the red landmark. And that opens up the next person who's willing to buy. And when you lift them off the board, there's points. Oh, guess what? Most person with the most point person with the points wins. Let me say that. The most person with the points. The most person point. Whoever has the most victory points wins. Yeah. (laughs) And so in order to get to the very next person who's wanting to move into a district, you got to then get that colored landmark set up. Have another landmark, and you say, okay, I'm going to move him in. But something, Marty, that Connor did to you was so impressive with the districts. He chained them all together.
1: Yeah. What he did was, uh, so when you make a district, a district is basically any enclosed area. These tiles have a bunch of different, there's streets and buildings on these tiles. Some are straight lines. Some have 90-degree angles on the streets. And you can organize however these want. But once you get a district, which is basically... Uh, an entire area has a road
2: going around the entire uh, zone. Uh, uh, Were were they walls or roads? Because let's not cross over into the Carcassonne world. No, Hmm. no,
1: he said roads. He said roads, okay. He he said roads. He said if an area is encompassed by a road all the way around it, that is now a district that is available for people to move into based on the colors of landmarks in that district. And like you said, it's basically... Uh, If you need a commoner of a certain color, you need a landmark of that color, plus another of any color Mm -hmm. to get them in there. And uh, so what Connor did was finish this huge district and he made sure, and this, the sharing of the, uh, the commoners and nobles, the little uh, discs or pegs or pawns or whatever you want to do them between each of us was what was cool. So I had two columns of commoners shared with you and two columns shared with Connor, he had to start on his side and work up towards, towards my side as I'm going towards the middle. We're both going towards the middle there. And he was able to chain them. It's like, oh, cool. I need this red one. I need this blue one. I need this green one. And he's like, pop, pop, one point, two points, three points, you know, and then he ended up on my side of the board. And when he got to my side, it's like, well, that column is done for me. I can't really get any good points from there. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's that sharing of the pawns that you're going to be placing is one of the cool mechanics I like in the game.
2: Yeah. And one of the things was that at first I didn't grasp was when you talk about the landmarks in the district, if I have a red landmark and I need, I need another color. And by the way, there was a wild color. It could be any color. Mm -hmm. So if I had, I had a red landmark, two houses and a green landmark, Mm -hmm. then I met the criteria, a red plus another color. And if the guest coming in, the settler coming in, the commoner coming in could was red, I could place him on the empty house. And then if the next one was green, then the green one met it because I had a green and a red, so I could pull him off and put him on the empty house. Yep. And another rule that's very important that I kept trying to screw up and take advantage of was, for some odd reason... If there's a red settler in there, no other red settlers can move in that district. They don't work that way. And I actually like that rule. So if yeah. you build a big district, you have to remember that
1: you can only have one color, whether it's a uh, one of that color, whether it's a commoner or noble in that district. So if you build a bunch of red landmarks in there, it ain't going to do you any good because you can only get one red thing in there anywhere. The other shared resource is each of you, you share two rows, two columns of commoners per person but also one column of nobles those are bigger discs but it has an additional requirement you need two of the same color
2: in order to get the big pawn into your district but those are worth more points right it's it's two of the same color plus an additional color unless yes. it's the special noble noble as i call them purple. purple 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 He required even more criteria. For instance, you needed
1: one of four different colors Mm -hmm. in there. And the purple ones are right in the middle. They're worth the most points. And that's what each of you are kind of working towards. And once you, the first one there, that's it. And once there's only one disc left in a column, that last disc can't be cleaned. It's over. And so there's this, you're trying to, that's the randomness of the game means that every game you're going to try to think, okay, well, I'm seeing on my side, this pattern of color. So I want to build a district so I can get those into place. But then I see Tony is also working on that same column. So we're racing down the t- same spot on the same column. And it's like, oh, we didn't even mention monuments. Uh, if you build a monument, uh, which is basically a card that goes into a district, it has, there has to be a fixed size. It's like a rectangle Uh, You have to make a district of that size, and then you can claim a monument card, which is almost like an in-game scoring uh, card in most uh, of the cases that we saw. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, it was like you get two points for every district that's fully populated or four points for this, three points for this. It just depends. And then it kind of gives you an in-game scoring goal. Once you claim one, then you try to maximize the number of points you can off that monument that's now in your city.
2: With, and, but unfortunately it covers up that district. So even if that district, he has a red, a green and a white house and you put a a monument there, well, you can't now put a commoner in there or a noble or whatever you want to put in there because it's covered up. So right. you, so you spent time building that for an in-game scoring mechanism and you might have lost out as someone is taking people and putting them in their town. So good. So good. So much fun. Enjoyed it a lot.
1: As I was playing, I was telling Connor said, Connor, this is going to be a hit. I said, this is going to be one of your bigger hits for inside up games because it's so easy to teach. It's very puzzly. And that's what he said. He said, it's very much like a puzzle. And it's true because you've got three tiles in your hand and you're trying to think of the best way to get a district built, but you're having to keep an eye on the people that's to the left and right of you to kind of see what they're doing. Cause Heaven forbid you start working down a track and they're going down because you may be building something and may miss out on the opportunity to get those certain color uh, commoners or, you know, discs or, or whatever in, in play. But that wasn't the whole thing, though. When we were done, he said, all right, can I tell you guys about the co-op game? And Tony, when he first said this, I thought, oh, boy, here's one of these things. It's like you make this really cool competitive game and you feel like you got to paste on or throw in this co-op game, which really kind of just feels thrown in there. But then he explains it to us and shows us how it works. And I'm like, no, this is like it's its own game. So in a, cooper- a cooperative game, you're going to draw a commoner from a bag and place it on a track. Now the the track is now different. There's there's a single column track for each each one of you. And when you place it on the track, the commoner that's at the end of the track must be taken first. That color must be taken first. And what you're trying, each of you are building
2: your own districts, but the goal is, is to complete so many monuments that there's, there's three, there's, there's easy, normal and hard. And like we had those monuments in the other game, these are now, okay, you need to complete three of these objectives,
1: which is basically putting one of those tiles and put it in somebody's space. So now you're working together. It's like, well, I think I can work towards that monument. You work towards that monument. You pull out a commoner and it's like, okay, this this is a red. Does anybody going to need a red anytime soon? It's like, I happen to be working on a district where I'm going to need a red. Then I'll put it on on your uh, tray. But here's the thing. As those fill up, the each track only has a limited number. And if you put a disc in the final track, it's a skull, which means you lose the game. Because when you place a commoner off that track, every... Uh, commoner slides up one spot. And uh, basically, that's how you keep you know adding, adding a token. Hopefully, you can remove a couple, then add one. But if it, one track ever fills up all the way to the bottom, that triggers the end of the game and you lose.
2: Mm-hmm. Mount Vesuvius has erupted and wiped you out. Everybody was trying to get in. You were trying to get the gates open. And oh, guess what? Mount Vesuvius.
1: Nice sound effects. Yeah, Thank you. There you go. Thank you. So anyway, so after hearing that, I thought, okay, wow, this doesn't feel pasted on. This is like its own game. It had uh, very much of a grizzled feel to me uh, where there's this tension going on. It's like, oh man, these tracks are filling up. We need to get them, some discs off the board. Your track's almost full. We shouldn't add any more discs to yours, but you really need this color. And it's just that constant cooperation and talking as the t- as the clock's kind of ticking on you. But it's still very much a tile-placing game because you're trying to build the district that you need in order to get everything in the place and to put the monuments out there. And once you get the monuments built, that's how
2: you trigger the the winning condition. So this comes out on June 2nd yep. for Kickstarter. I believe you can still get, if you have Tabletopia, can you play it? I think Connor mentioned yes. this.
1: It is free. So if people want to go out there and check it out, uh, he has a Facebook page for City Builder Ancient World where you can go out there and see if people are playing. He probably will sit down and play with you. And people may be wondering, he said, why would I want to back it on Kickstarter when I can just wait till retail? Because if you back on Kickstarter, you're going to save 25% off the MSRP. Plus you get some exclusive components not offered in the retail. And day one backers have the option of having their name printed on the inside of the box top on all copies of the game
2: at no cost. And as we've learned, it will help you put the pieces back in the box so you'll know which side (laughs) is up and which side is down. So if you see your name in the
1: box that you're putting stuff, stop, because that's the lid of the box.
2: (laughs) Anything to help out us poor gamers is appreciated.
1: Yeah, and so this game, since there is a co-op and competitive mode, it plays one to four players, takes about 30 to 60 minutes. Tony and our learning game, we probably finished in 45-ish minutes Mm -hmm. playing on Tabletopia, if you're playing with the real tiles and stuff, it would move even quicker because on your, when it's not your turn, you could be sitting there and kind of deciding where do you want to put your tile when it comes to your turn, etc. Mm-hmm.
2: And it's one to four players there is a solo yep. mode where you're playing a tile and having to discard tiles and you're, you know, that actually sounded good too. So very excited for this game. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed playing it Online. And Marty and I have talked about how, you know, playing games online, it doesn't feel that right to us. Right. And actually, this one, I'd sit down and play again. Because mm-hmm. it was easy is easy to manipulate the pieces. It was easy to pick up the pieces and put them on the board, easy to tell the graphics, easy to talk through. We could still communicate. We weren't having a lot of stuff going on. And, and I think that's what I enjoy about those types of video games or uh, game, board games on the table is the easier ones I enjoy playing. I mean, it was super easy, barely an inconvenience to play.
1: so again city builder
2: ancient world from inside up games
1: coming out on kickstarter june 2nd which is actually release day of this episode
2: 199 well i am honored i am blessed to have both my girls with me to do a review what are you laughing about
3: what Nothing. That was Rebecca. Honored and blessed. I
2: am. You're here. They haven't heard your voice in forever. That is Rebecca for everyone yeah. who hasn't listened to the catalog of Rolling Dice and Taking Names podcast. Not that you would want to.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, you don't have to agree with that. <laughs> and she is sitting next to her mother who is supposed to say something. Who's not saying anything and I don't know why, so that they can hear your yes, voice.
3: That is mom right there. Woo! <laughs> Doing <a> great job.
2: <laughs> so they have joined me, like I said, they're gonna talk about Ticket to Ride, Japan. It was the Japan and Italy expansion that came out last year and we were able to get it to the table during the boyfriend evaluation. Portion of her visit, Rebecca's visit. And the, they've already heard about this on the shows, just to let you know okay, that he did pass. He did good. He, he did
3: pass. Yeah, he did. Oh, good. I'm yeah. sure he'll be very happy when he listens to this podcast. He's
2: not going to, I doubt it. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so anyway, Ticket to Ride Japan, one of the f- changes from the original base game is that there is a bullet train. And everybody's contributing to the bullet train that can help you complete the tickets. All the rules are the same. You're going to be collecting tickets. I mean, I'm sorry, you're going to be collecting cards to complete trains. You'll be collecting destination tickets to help you earn victory points at the end. And you will also be building track. Now the bullet train is slightly different in the fact that you play so many of the same color and you only place one bullet train and you can score points on the board. If you do not help with the building of the bullet train, there is a lot of negative points at the end of the game. So you always want to contribute. Now, you don't have to win. If you do win the bullet train, you get a lot of victory points, doesn't? It, but it doesn't guarantee a win, does it, dear?
4: No, it definitely does not guarantee a win, since I had the most points in bullet trains, and I lost terribly. But one thing you left out is you talked about it being just like the base game. But the big difference for me and why I lost so badly was there's only 20 trains when normally there's 40 trains and the end came way too fast for me. I wasn't prepared that you were down to just a couple trains. I wasn't paying any attention to that. I was more focused on completing my routes.
2: And the reason why I did that is because our daughter was sitting there sucking up the tickets. And I knew she was collecting a lot of victory points. So I had needed to quickly get to the end so she could stop taking all the tickets. True. <laughs> and that's usually your strategy, isn't it?
3: Yeah. So I build a long train that pretty much goes everywhere and then uh, just start collecting tickets until someone finishes the game for me.
2: Has, has that ever bit you in the hind end?
3: I've only lost once. So Ooh, yeah oh, yeah oh, oh, okay yeah so no <laughs> it worked this time <laughs>
2: <laughs> You barely beat me
3: But I did <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah you did <laughs> Technically you beat me didn't you
3: Technically I beat you, you so it still works it's still my go to And it's only method. because
2: your boyfriend shafted me out of getting a uh, portion of the bullet train it would have made how happen It would have allowed me to leap ahead of you.
4: I thought we were tied at the end. You guys tied on points for the bullet train. And if the boyfriend hadn't uh, taken the last bullet train, dad was planning to build the last bullet train. And therefore, he would have had a couple points more than you would have ended up with zero and he would have had 10. So he would have then had 10 extra points. Instead of you guys each having 10.
3: Very true. But Noah and I are a team. And so he took no. it for me so that I could win. <laughs>
2: he did not. He had no clue what he was doing. Let's be, let's be honest. It's true. <laughs> he had no clue. So what did you think of this compared to the other Ticket to Rides? We've all, we've all played uh, Switzerland. Uh, or, I th- or Whichever one's the two-player map. Uh, th- three people. We played this with four. Did you like the map? What did you like about it?
3: Um, I liked the map. I liked how the bullet trains were good for anyone. It allowed me to do what I do and uh, just be able to go everywhere. And I really got to use my train sparingly um, to go to a few other
4: places. I love the bullet train thing. I thought it was really interesting and um, went across most of the board. We kind of compacted them all together so that... Um, you could cover most of the board just with bullet trains, which unfortunately is how Rebecca ended up winning. Cause every time she drew cards, the routes were pretty much already completed by bullet trains. So she only had to build short little segments off the bullet trains. So it was kind of interesting. My strategy was to get most of the points through the bullet train and that didn't work for me, but that's okay.
2: And I thought that Noah, the boyfriend, was going to lose terribly because he was way in the back, but he had these two very long... That was me that lost terribly. Okay. Well, you took some negative points on your destination, but Noah was sitting there around 40 and suddenly he leapfrogged because he had these two very long uh, destination tickets.
3: Right. He didn't take any more destination tickets compared to me because the max destination uh, points that I had was uh, 10 and his max was... Twenty and he had like three twenty value points.
2: Now one of the other big changes with this map is that there are the workings of two inset maps of the subway systems. What did you think of having to manipulate the trains so that you would go to Tokyo that would then take you into the subway system? Was that confusing? Did you have any issues with it?
4: No, I kinda thought it was an interesting idea. Yeah, me too. Um, I liked it, except, um, of course, you know, all the names are Japanese. So trying to figure out where everything was, not sure that you guys couldn't tell where I needed to build because I had to look very closely at the map because I had subway stops on the insets. So I was constantly looking at the um, insets. I don't think Rebecca had very much in the subway system.
3: No, I did. That's um, where I placed most of my trains. So I used the bullet trains to get me from most places and then um, spent the majority of my 20 trains in the subways.
2: Now, would you want me to break out this map again? We've played the French map, which is where everything is. You set the various colors of the train tracks. Do you remember that? And
4: yeah, that one wasn't my favorite one of all of them. I don't remember that one.
2: Okay. Then you have, of course, the USA map. And then we have the three-player map. So, or just go back to the base map, the U.S. map.
3: I mean, the U.S. one's always going to be my favorite just because it was the original. And I think that's the most fun, but this was very enjoyable as well.
4: And this played much faster than the base game since there were half as many trains and you could complete routes um, using the bullet trains. So I think if you needed a quick game, this is a good one. If you're okay having a longer game, then I would go back to the base map.
2: Well, we need to conclude this because Rebecca is busy checking her snappy chats and Twitteries and things like that. So I don't want to hold her up too much. Any final thoughts on Ticket to Ride Japan?
4: I liked it. I give it a thumbs up.
2: That was some in-depth review from the McCree ladies.
4: (laughs) We don't have to have super in-depth reviews. (laughs) We already did the in-depth review. You asked for final comments. That's the final comment. Goodbye. I won.
1: So, Tony, you like the uh, Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth. Have you gone out to
2: Broken Token and gotten their Untold Journeys organizer for the game yet? Not yet. That was one of the the games the boyfriend immediately pulled off the shelf and said, Can we play that? And I said, I'd love to, but it's going to take me time to teach this a lot longer than you have. Plus, I don't have the insert to make it easy setup. I wish I had the Broken Token setup (laughs) insert, and that would have been on the table, and he would have gotten another thumbs up from me.
1: I know that's a, that's a shame this is a really cool insert too it has banner tray doubles as a phone or tablet stand for the app integrated gameplay because you know this game has the app integration into it there's five individual player card trays that let you save progress between, between sessions which is cool so you can just like take what you've already had put it back in the box and you haven't got to you know stack the cards a certain way it's like you had these cards you had these cards And there's some really cool thematic art on the large mini tray. So this looks sweet. If you enjoy Journeys in Middle Earth from Fantasy Flight Games and have their expansion and everything, go check out the Untold Journeys Organizer, currently available at TheBrokenToken.com. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll know that anytime I talk about any Arkham hearth I love to, get- to
0: play Arkham. You don't even have to go any further.
1: Here <laughs> I, I am. I'm with y'all. <laughs> I will have Vanessa
5: on the show. And to I love talk Arkham Horror, it. too. You don't have to go any further. I'm her brother, and I'm the one that made her love Arkham Horror. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was going to say, and let me introduce my baby brother, but we've all introduced ourselves. (laughs) Okay,
1: so so that saves me a lot of time at the beginning. So what we have here is uh, (laughs) Vanessa and her brother, Bob. And the reason why we are all together, as we have just finished playing the Arkham Hark. Actually, I'm sorry. Another
0: time out real quick. We are not all together. Oh, well, that's right. In the same room. Fair.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vanessa and I are in the same room and Bob is sitting in a little house in Mississippi. Mississippi. That's right. Here I am. And uh, so we have just finished, well, we've not just finished playing. Over the past few weeks, we have played the expansion to Arkham Heart, Dead of Night, which came out last year, which is two new scenarios. And in this time of staying inside and quarantining, it's like, how can we play this game? And we all of us wanted to play, so we said, let's figure this out. And we managed to pull it off. By using Zoom, three cameras, two Arkham Horror 3rd Edition boards, right. and a lot of patience, we were able to play this, these two scenarios in its
5: entirety. And we also had a giant wrapping paper cardboard tube suspended from the ceiling holding one of those cameras. So when you say (laughs) we did it with technology, we did it with technology and some crazy rigging too.
0: (laughs) And I was going to say the part of setting it up, I set off to the side and crocheted while while y'all set it up (laughs) that first time. Let's talk a little bit about how the setup was. So Bob, on your end, you had that, the cardboard camera on the table.
5: Right. Uh, My end was the main game board. For our game, so I set the game board up on my table and I set my phone camera up. I suspended it from the ceiling so you could see the whole game board and that became the main one so on our zoom meeting, that was its own uh zoom account, and that was the game board now Marty and Vanessa had their game board set up. But we didn't film that one. We didn't have to. They just had to be able to use it to keep up with what was going on and follow all the pieces. Right. I ran the main game board that we filmed. And I suppose we could have added a lot more people onto the Zoom meeting and could have done it the same way as long as they had their own version of the game board. Or you could just follow along on the one with it, that I had. Yeah, that's true. That's right. I,
1: except having their own game, our own game board was nice because a lot of encounters that you make, and right. Bob, you took care of reading the cards to us and stuff, but when it came to items from the item deck that we added to our investigators, it was nice to be able to... I just go to the deck and... I saw what was in the market on the table. It's like, well, I'm going to buy that gun or that leather coat. And then I would go through the deck on my Excuse side. Excuse me, Marty. We go to the curiosity shop. Oh, my, my bad. My <laughs> bad. <laughs> and uh, get an item and pull it out of the deck, you know, put it with the investigator. So I, w- I like being able to move the pieces on the board. Uh, as we moved monsters around, I'd pull the correct monsters out of the deck, put them on the board. So basically, we were just mirroring what we were saying. And that gave us the sense as if we were playing the game.
0: I am so excited to play this game, and we had two great experiences, and right now, I kid y'all not, my heart is really (laughs) pounding fast Okay, because I want to talk about the expansion, but I didn't know if we needed to back up a minute, and for anyone listening, do we need to kind of like just go over
1: quickly the... Overview? An overview of third edition and the steps. Well, you know what? I'm going to actually turn this over to Bob, because I think Bob has way more experience when it comes to second edition than what I do. He could probably make a better transition between what the second and third is, the differences between the two. So, Bob, for those who hadn't played third edition, maybe give us an overview of what it's like compared to the second, and then we'll jump into the expansion.
5: Right. So, let me just rewind a little bit in my personal experience. I was at the time living in Seattle, Washington, and we had some friends there and uh, Marty and Vanessa was helping me and my family get connected to the broader board gaming universe. Uh, I think our gateway games was like many other people, Settlers of Catan and Ticket to Ride. And but yep. we met a, a family there that just loved board games and connected with them. And we were good friends. And I was at uh, this guy's birthday party. No big deal except he got Arkham Horror as his birthday gift that night. I didn't even know what it was. I wasn't aware of it, but the cover art on the box pulled me in like a magnet. I was, it was like I was drawn through an interdimensional gate.
1: Very thematic.
5: I don't know what this is, but I love it. I love it right now. So they were explaining to me what Arkham Horror was a little bit. And, and basically we said, you know what? Let us let's, let's play it. We're gonna bust out and play it tonight. So I think we started, opened a new box, started an Arkham Horror second edition game at seven o'clock PM with eight players.
4: Oh my god. Wow.
5: <laughs> I left there at about three, four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and I had work the next day, and I left thinking. It was worth every single, <laughs> we we slogged through the rules. We flipped through the rule book. I think two people out of the eight had played it before. It's one of those things where you'll never match that experience again. It was that good. Every card we read was hilarious. But, you know, after 2 a.m., everything's hilarious. So uh, sure. so it, it, it was just a great experience. and uh, And that kind of got me hooked. So ever since then, I got Arkham Horror 2nd Edition. I got the expansions for it, played it with Marty and Vanessa. We had some epic uh, games with their family. Then we moved on to Mansions of Madness 1st Edition, Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition. We've played Elder Sign and had a great time. Now, I haven't gotten Vanessa to play the card game yet, uh, but Marty plays and... Marty
0: hasn't either. (laughs) Oh, you did play it once. (laughs) I did, yeah. Dice is my jam.
5: (laughs) So then third edition comes out and it's like, well, let's uh let's let, let's give it a shot cuz it looks different. Uh sorry, Eldritch Horror had come out really after after they finished with right. uh, second edition. And I'd say it's very similar to second edition, but it's different enough to make it a new game, but I, what I appreciated about Eldritch Horror was that it just streamlined a lot. But it seemed like reading and going through the flavor and the stories and the narrative and the encounter was almost optional because they used a lot of icons to what to test and how much and what attributes. So you could you could basically play Eldritch Horror without reading any encounter. Just look at icons and just say, okay, I have to test will. Okay, I've got to test strength. And, and I could be wrong. That could be a mistake. No, that's, that's right.
0: That might be right, but... Uh, in- not at my table.
5: <laughs> uh, understood. I wasn't asking permission for that. I was just saying. It, yeah. and, and I don't know if that was intentional, but that you could see that as a design choice, saying you can play this game if you don't want to read so much of the flavor and yeah. the lore, but you can't do that with Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. Every game is a scenario, and it is narrative-driven. But it is still the same... It's a board game experience, but I believe more than any of the other board games, they've brought the narrative in in a bigger way. Certainly bigger than Arkham Horror 2nd Edition. There was a lot of flavor and narrative on individual cards, but there wasn't an Mm -hmm. overall narrative in the board games. Now, the card game is all about the overall narrative. It is so, so heavy with that story Um, and and not just theme, but we're talking about a a written plot that drives each scenario mm-hmm. of that game. And now third edition has brought that in. So there are differences. The board layout is different, but it makes it um, more modular. So you can change the board up from game to game. Some of the scenarios have unique elements. So individual scenarios are very unique and very different. Uh, you build a monster deck For each scenario specifically, and that's a little different from 2nd Edition. I still say it's streamlined from 2nd Edition. 2nd Edition is a crazy fiddly game, but that's part of its charm. Compared to 2nd Edition, 3rd Edition is less fiddly, but more narrative. And the pressure of all hope is lost starts about round 3 on 3rd Edition. And, and, and it stays there. I mean, I don't know how many times when we played, it was just, well, we're just, we're playing for fun because there's no way, no way we can even get close to this. And, and then, then you'd catch some lucky break and then you'd be crushed and then you'd catch a break and then you'd be crushed. And they did it, man. The narrative, the back and forth, the tension, the horror, the madness. It's all there.
1: And if I correct me if I'm wrong, but this this added the Mythos token bag, too.
5: That's right. Uh, You still roll dice. Uh, Six-sided dice have always been a staple of the Arkham Horror games. And so you're rolling a six-sided die for your characters or a handful of D6 or, you know, however. And you're looking for fives and sixes normally. But now when the mythos is taking its turn, so to speak, and the mythos is doing its part, you have a mythos bag where you are drawing tokens. A couple of tokens are neutral. One or two tokens are good. And the rest of them are terrible. And that <laughs> is similar to, uh, Arkham Horror, the card game. And I think at the beginning, especially when they put that in the card game, people were saying, well, I don't know. We're used to a dice mechanic with this, but, uh, you know, if you know anything about the other games and the card game, the Mythos bag, you can change it in the middle of the game. Something good happens, and it says, okay, you can add another neutral token into the Mythos bag. Or more than likely, it's going to say, take your neutral tokens out. Put this token in that's a throat punch. Uh, put this token in that's automatic defeat. It just punishes you that way, but changing it on the fly is... is uh, is a really good aspect of those games that use it. And so they brought that into this one.
1: And so with the expansion, it's one of those things that this, I think this is the first expansion they did for third edition. And it's not one of those that really drastically changes the game. Uh, They just added some additional content. There's four more investigators in there. There's a couple new aspects. One of them is called a wanted. There is a concept of being able to remove map tiles And they also give you this, uh, nice little monster deck holder. In the base game, they give you, uh, they give you an encounter deck holder, a little cardboard deck holder. Here they have, have one for the monster. So it's not drastically changing the rule set, just enhancing it and giving you a couple more scenarios. But it's one of those things that when it comes to the narrative, now we'll jump into what this is. These two stories, even though there's only two, was such a good story. We played them, I believe, in order, and they were so different. One of them uh, did not use an anomaly deck, which is usually when you have a big, bad god that's going to be an elder god coming after you. One of them didn't even use that at all. In fact, the, the narrative is like there's these two rival gangs in Arkham, and they're fighting over something, and you're kind of trying to figure out what is going on. And that one was a, had a really different feel than the other scenarios we've played.
0: I need to jump in right here because I told each of y'all how excited I was to talk about this expansion and this... The two um scenarios that came with it, because in my mind, as we were playing it, I could see it playing out like a a movie or an episode of Buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> and i i I could see it, and I was so excited to tell all of y'all exactly what was happening and exactly what we did, and both Marty and Bob went uh-uh that's spoilers. (laughs) So here I have to say everything I wanted to tell. I'm just about to eat this microphone. I'm so close to it because they are so exciting. They are so exciting. And both of them are different in different ways. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you love Arkham Horror If you don't have third edition, I guess you're going to have to get it so that you can get this expansion. Right. Because it was incredible.
5: The game mechanics are there. The design is there. The two scenarios in this expansion are different from each other, but they're also each different from all other expansions. They both have very unique elements. So that's, let's say, gameplay design makes it very unique. But I'm telling you, the writing takes center stage there is so much plot and writing and every every car just like creates so much and there's a a part where you say you know this much writing and narrative isn't necessary but it adds so much to it and it makes it that movie and when when we're both uh, so far away from each other just looking at our our little pictures on a computer screen playing this game in distance and we're all screaming at the same time. And, and, and my wife is coming out of the bedroom because it's so late. She's like, what is happening out here? And I'm like screaming, we won, we won. Like the U.S. finally won hockey in the Olympics and just running around. Yes, yes. You, you know, somebody did something right.
1: One aspect about uh, Arkham Horror 3rd Edition, they have this concept of the codex, which is basically the, the narrative part of the game At these cards uh, that you have that it, it, it kind of sets up the game it tells you a little bit of a story it's not really on rails which I like it's like well what do you think we should do well maybe we should start trying to get some clues because it says if we get some clues here then we can maybe flip over the card or go to another card and that's how the you drive the story along because it will say okay now pull out this card or something will happen in the game it's like oh that didn't go too well for you pull out Codex card number 48, Mm -hmm. and then we read in, it's like, oh, that's not good. And so that's how they drive the narrative of the game. But then, like you said, with the individual encounter cards, those are also unique to the scenario Mm -hmm. so that the overarching story is there, and then you got these little encounters that happen all over the neighborhood of Arkham, which is what the map that you're playing in, that kind of ties everything in together.
5: That Codex creates a little bit of a choose-your-own-adventure feel. But you're not really yeah. choosing anything. It's just what you can accomplish or not accomplish. So instead of saying, if you want to fight the bad guy, choose card number 10. It's, okay, if if you got completely defeated, choose card number 10. If, <laughs> if you somehow managed to get three clues before you got defeated, choose card number 9. So well, And I'm saying choose. Um, retrieve card number nine and put it in the codex. Right. So it's like that, but you you can't control choices. You're just doing the best you can and outcomes determine that.
1: I will say that even though both scenarios were super exciting, it was the second scenario that we played <laughs> where we felt probably with like an hour left. It's like, we're done. Oh, we'll, yeah. we'll just go through the motions and finish this game just to see what For happens. Sure. But I said, we'll we'll assume one week from now... We're going to get back together and play again.
0: As I remember coming. We were playing downstairs. I came upstairs and I told the boys, we're almost done because we're about to get killed. So we'll be finished in like 10 minutes. And I think it was like 45 minutes later. We're like, we
1: won. And, and as we're playing, we start seeing little glimmers of hope. The codex mm-hmm. changed a little bit. And it's like, wait a minute. There's actually a kind of a path to victory that we might be able to achieve here. Mm-hmm. But things really have to go our way. And we were doing everything odd-wise, right? We were trying to maximize the dice and everything. And when we had what we felt was the best chance to roll what we needed, we failed every time.
0: Yeah. Each one of us had a turn to try and and make it happen. And we each failed.
5: In that particular round that you're talking about, I think we were looking for one, maybe two successes. And that would have been a, a five or six And what did we roll, like 12 dice or something? You know, between us all, rolled 12 dice and zero successes. And we were like, oh, well, at least we had that showdown moment. At least that was exciting. we'll 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 just play it out again and and next next week when we play again, we'll remember <laughs> we'll remember this time maybe we'll try this or do this, and we'll know a little more going into the scenario
0: I remember in that round each of us for those of you that know anything about Arkham and you could. Spend a focus to get another roll. We are roll one of the dice. So we were, we would roll. I got a focus, roll it, it, spend it, and and then it went bad. Yeah, re roll. And then I got another focus. We used up all our focus. We used up everything and lost. (laughs) So
1: literally, we were down to our final turn. And this is where I know Vanessa is just biting her tongue about wanting to spoil what is going on. I really do. Because the story that is happening at this point is one of the most amazing things. I've yep. ever experienced in a game.
5: And without a spoiler, there's just, there's kind of a mechanic in that scenario that allows you to sort of see a time clock of the game. Like you you can just kind of see and tell, oh, oh, we're, we have limited time. Oh, here he is. Our, our clock, so to speak, is ticking. You could just even see on the board, uh-oh, uh-oh, this, this, is, this is just about it.
1: <laughs> it was visually yeah. represented on the board yeah. of the time running out for yes. us, yeah. which was super exciting. So we were getting down to like one or two rounds left. Each of us had like a chance at maybe one roll. Mm-hmm. And this is where I tell you, the co-op nature of the game just came to life because we're like, what can we do? And Vanessa was the one that's like, oh my gosh, remember guys? One action we have done a lot of that we should be doing is trading. I've got this item here that can help our odds of when you roll that one die of potentially getting the success that you need. So let's start organizing to make sure we're in the same location so we could do the trades, so we could take the chances, and we just ran through every permutation to hopefully try to get the roles that we needed. And it literally came down to Bob. Did you roll? No.
5: I was going to say, you know, three, three of us are playing three investigators and to, to make these roles that you're talking about, you had to be on a specific space on the board. That's right. But I was in a different space separated from you guys because there was a lot of doom over there that I was trying to mitigate and keep down. So you, you think that's not as exciting, but we couldn't have had another gate burst or whatever, you know, doom can get too high and it becomes like a a, a pandemic thing and it spills over. So I was just over there almost doing basic work, but it's keeping that doom down and then monsters got in between us. If you recall that, but but, so Mm -hmm. I was, uh, you, you know, it was just, so I was over there kind of keeping things together and you two for those last two turns were able to get in the spot and, uh, and I was just, well, I guess it's in the 1930s. Maybe I found a pay phone or something and was just dialing you up, you know, uh, quick, give me, give me the university, Mabel. Uh, I gotta <laughs> talk to my sis. And, uh, and, and just said, you guys do the best you can. Because this is your last chance.
0: I pictured you like standing there fighting the monsters and protecting and keeping them away from us as Marty and I were in the science lab and we were we were doing the last bit of the spell
5: that needed to be done. <laughs> uh, I, I kind of imagined that maybe in my fight, I ended up on a rooftop of one of the buildings and I could look across town and, and see like maybe swirling uh, clouds or something around your area, and I could see from a distance, uh uh-oh, it's either going to happen or it ain't.
1: (laughs) And so when it got to Vanessa's turn, I mean, I think you were rolling one die, right? One. You had to to roll a five or a six, one die, and, and at this time, we're all standing up, right? We're oh, standing yeah. around the table and then Vanessa rolls the die. Hands were shaking. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we scream. It's a, <laughs> it's a five or six. I don't remember which one it was. It's the success we needed. But we needed two. So then it comes. We had to have yes. two successes. We, yeah. Yep. So then yep. it comes to me. Vanessa says, here's the trade. Here's a card that you may need to help you.
0: And and just to set it up, though, there was two. I traded two, so you were going to get two chances. And then Bob remembered, wait a minute, didn't you use one of those? And yep. I did, so we couldn't trade that one. That one was only once per round, so there was only one.
1: Yep. And so here we are. It's Which allowed you to re-roll. We're, yep. We're about four or five hours into the game at this point. It's about midnight, <laughs> so it's the witching hour, and I, we're standing up, and I and I sit there, and I'm, I'm, my heart's just a-pounding, and I let the one die roll, and unfortunately, Bob can't see our table at this that's, point.
5: That's right. But
1: all he sees yes. is me and Vanessa start screaming and <laughs> celebrating on our side of the table. It game. was a
0: success!
1: <laughs> it was unbelievable. It is one of those board gaming sessions I'll never forget. That's what I love about thematic games, more so than Euro games. I love the mechanics of the Euro and the thinkiness of them and stuff. But when I put the game back in the box, what I like is the mechanics of the game, but I forget the experience. With something like Arkham Har, it's like I'll never forget that feeling of the story that we just played through and by the skin of our teeth won the game.
0: And I, I wish we had videoed it. I wish we had videoed it because I, I would love to just... Relive it.
1: <laughs> I, I, I know. And, and so I couldn't even go to sleep that night. I was just lying in the oh, bed. Oh, we I talked was just, and talked. I was shaking. Yeah.
5: I was so tense. And that was yeah. the second time we had played over Zoom like that. Yes. And, yes. And, and you, yeah. everything you said is exactly right about that experience. But the first game that we played, that scenario was uh, Shots in the Dark. I guess it wasn't as dramatic at the end like that. But I remember thinking myself, and then you guys said it was the same. When we got finished, and I don't know what it was, 12.30, 1 a.m., but we got finished, yeah. and I just realized, man, I was just, I was just high. I was just feeling so good. And it was just like, man, that playing together like that gave me a boost that I didn't even realize I needed. Some of that credit goes to Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. Some of it goes to just the fact that we got together and played a game, even though... We're so far apart and we made it happen. But, you know, still got to give the credit to Arkham Horror for being that type of a game that, that can bring those experiences.
0: I've been wondering, too, since then, why haven't we thought about this before? Why did it take something like stay in place to drive us to to do a game online like this? And now I think we should have, I, I every time we play, I say, we got to do this next week, but we should really do it once a month. We should, like, dedicate a certain Friday of the month for Arkham Horror and do this because it it is hard to describe the experience of playing it through Zoom or whatever you use like this. It was just a different level. It was a different experience.
5: It's going to make it a little longer because you have to work together to make sure those things are there. That that's part of it. Five hours each time. Yeah. So it, it's but the five hours flew. Oh oh yeah. It wasn't. At I, I, no point did I get tired of it. You know. Um, but that's also the nature of. Arkham Horror. It's a long game. And we take time and we read all the cards. We read all the flavor. But we haven't played... Well, I mean, this is the first expansion... But none of us have played third edition enough to be just real fluent with it either. We still had to go back to the rulebook and and mm-hmm. remember stuff. So uh, we'll we'll get a little quicker that way.
1: One of the things that we did take care of when it came to, to playing the game over Zoom is uh, Vanessa and I or Vanessa took care of the Mythos bag. So Bob took care of all mm-hmm. managing all the cards of the game. And we took care of the mythos bag. So that's where you pull two tokens per investigator at the end of the round and resolve them. And in our second scenario, we learned, let's resolve these as fast as we can. Because in this game, to me, I think this is the part of the game that starts dragging or slows a bit. When the game's taking its turn against you at this point, there there's not a lot of interaction. Uh, during the encounter phase, there is, because you each have to make a decision about a card that's read to you. But sometimes the chips are just, uh, you know, spawn a gate. Put a monster out here. Put a clue out here. There's not much narrative to that point, right? So we streamlined that bit ourselves to make it go through those six chips real quick. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, now it's our turn again. Let's play. So we did a great job of that too.
5: Well, and just doing it twice, playing one week one scenario, and then in a couple weeks we played that second one. Setting up how we filmed the game board and everything to do it at a distance got much better too. So it only it only took a few times to to start. Getting the bugs worked out of that.
1: I'll tell you this, I know I am super excited for the expansion from Arkham Horror that's coming out in the fall. Oh, yeah, uh, is it beneath the waves or under the waves?
5: It's Ensmith. That's all I know. The deep ones it's are coming.
1: Ensmith. <laughs> <laughs> the deep ones of Ensmith are coming. And what's cool is is the Arkham Horror the card game is also going to Ensmith too. Um, so it's brand new Deluxe expansion that was just announced. It's also going to be taking place uh, over there in Innsmouth. So both the third edition and card game will be in the same location.
5: I'm so excited about that. Now, I don't think that means at all that there's overlap in specific no. narrative. Uh, and that, that would be very difficult for them as a company uh, to do. And they have different departments and different games. But still, it's it's just exciting to have these games that you love that are so thematic and seeing them Uh, connect with each other in that way, even if there's not gameplay overlap. And I've always just uh, loved the story, uh, Shadow over Innsmouth, uh, in terms of Arkham Horror Files. I've loved the characters that are associated with that. I'm just excited about it.
1: So until then, though, we can obviously get together. We can play through these scenarios again with different investigators. We can go back to the base game and play through those again if we want to until we wait for the expansion. But uh, I just want to thank you all for playing uh, this game with me. This is not a game that uh, Tony will play. (laughs) Uh, He is not into the long thematic games. He is definitely not into flavor text. He's just like, just tell me what to roll. I don't care the story. Just tell me what to roll. So he does not get into that stuff at all. So I thank y'all for being into this sort of thing because it's it's a different feel of a game than a standard Euro. And it's just super exciting to play with other people that are excited to play that type of game.
0: Oh, yes. It was very exciting. I will play Arkham anything to do with Arkham anytime, except the, except the card game. <laughs> Which is a shame because may- it's so maybe good. <laughs> maybe we need to do that over Zoom with Bob. Maybe, may maybe.
5: <laughs> Listen, the narrative is so so deep in that one too. I think you would. I think you would love it, Vanessa.
1: Thank y'all so much for coming on and uh, and uh, sharing with us again. This is Arkham Horror Third Edition. This is the expansion, Dead of Night. If you want to find out what we're talking about spoilery-wise, well, you're just gonna have to play it for yourself. But get ready for a wild ride. Y'all a I can't, wild ride. Y'all, I can't wait to hook up with y'all again in a few weeks, and we'll play again. And again, thank y'all for taking time out and coming on the show. Thank you.
5: I'm just happy to be here. <laughs>
1: For this episode, we are partnering with a company called E-Win Racing. They were so kind to reach out and say, hey, you're old. Would you like to have a comfortable chair to sit in as you're recording and gaming, etc.? I said, well, thank you. Yes, I would. So they sent me one of their gaming chairs and I got this in. This is a big old beast. And I thought, oh no, how long is this going to take to put together? Because I had bought one of these for my son from a different competitor and it took forever to put together. I said, all right. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and throw this thing together. And this was one of the easiest chairs I ever put together. Took it out of the box. I put the back, connected it to the seat. The handrails were already connected, which was cool. That wasn't the case in this other gaming chair that I bought. I put the, uh, the post on the bottom, attached the five-star plate where the wheel's attached to, attached those, and that was pretty much it. It was ready to go. And this is super comfortable. And The reason why I think Tony would like one of these is because if we were playing this at a game table and it was Tony's turn and he takes his turn, Tony, you can grab the handle over here and recline this back all the way back down and just take
2: a little nap until it's your turn again. It would make it so easy for me to see my switch. Yes, it would. You could literally recline all the way back and just
1: lean back and play your switch. And then when it's your turn, we could tell you and just pop right back up, take your turn and lie right back down again.
2: And I was wondering why you were so mellow at the start of this episode, because you were sitting in your new E-Win chair and you were just relaxing. I'm like, you dog. Yeah, it's got a nice high back. It's got a
1: neck rest. It's got thumb bar, thumb bar support lumbar thumb bar wow let's try that lumbar support i don't know what thumb bar does it have a cup holder (laughs) it does not have a cup holder but it does have the adjustable uh, handrails that move up and down and the armrest slide in and out and they twist on an axis so however you want to pull up to your desk or pull up to your gaming table and you may be wondering yeah but marty this is a gaming chair this is a board gaming channel people, what are we doing right now? What's Tony and I been doing? We've been getting on TTS and Tabletopia and playing Blood Rage online. So this is a perfect chair to sit down and do some virtual gaming, but there's no reason why you just can't roll one of these right up to your gaming table and sit here for hours in comfort as you play your board games and everything but what's so cool about this is they have given us a code to give out to you in case you want to check out one of these chairs they have a lot of different models a lot of different colors if you go to ewin racing dot com, find a chair that you want and in the coupon code use capital all capital letters r-d-t-n You'll get 20% off your order, and all orders in the
2: US are free shipping, Tony. That was my NASCAR impression. <laughs> Sound effects for Ewin Racing.
1: It does, it does look like a, a, a racing chair. Look, these suckers are comfortable. Check it out 20% off. That is an amazing deal. Free shipping, ewinracing.com. Use the code, show them that we sent you. Ewan,
2: thank you so much for sending the chair because I am really enjoying it. Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. Guess what? I did mention that Rebecca, oh, and that was the box flipping over, by the way, was going to come back and help me review another game. It's called The Alpha from Bicycle Games. Bicycle, as you know, is a card maker a 52 deck card that's who bicycle is and they've set out some various games and the alpha is one of them and we got to play but i thought donna was going to take a break from her review job but no she is back with us and i am excited to have them back here for another and final before rebecca gets on the plane
3: we are just so excited to be here thanks for inviting us back
2: And if you ever wondered where my daughter got her sarcasm from, well, obviously it is me. So in the alpha, you are a wolf pack. And this this is why I got this, babe. Where's the wolf pack? Yep. Wolf pack. I
4: don't remember feeling like much of a wolf pack during the game.
2: Okay. So the bicycle no game. No fight
4: song playing. What fight, ride and ride song state. what fight song is that?
2: What fight song is that?
4: I'm not singing it.
2: The red and white for saying, and we know we are the best. Okay. So in the alpha, it is a very light family game, which struck me kind of interesting because you are a wolf pack trying to kill prey.
4: I totally disagreed with it being a family game just because of the whole premise. I mean, you're out there trying to eat other animals. But you're a wolf. I
3: liked it as a family game. It's teaching kids like pretty much kind of what goes on in the wild, that wolf packs have to go out, they have to eat. Like They got to fight for survival. Yeah, they have to fight for survival, circle of life. And it was a fun way of kind of showing that the more points you get, the higher the animal is, the better chance these uh, animals have of eating more and that kind of thing. I know that end didn't make sense, but... (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> I trailed off. <laughs> you did. You lost your train of thought. I saw it going bye-bye. It was, it was like, ticket to ride. I didn't and, complete that destination ticket.
3: <laughs> yep, yep. And just,
2: woo. <laughs> it's out of here. <laughs> oh, my heavens. I mean, it is supposed to be a lighthearted family game where the ultimate goal is to get the most victory points, but it's actually collecting food. And during this process, there are four basic moves that you're going to do. First off, your wolf pack is going to go out and hunt or stalk prey. And there are two areas of prey on the board. There's the stuff that's local and then the stuff that's in the deep woods. Now, one concept of this game that I really enjoyed was the fact that if you wanted to go hunt for the bigger prey in the deep woods, you had to give up a victory point for every wolf that you put on that um, animal. Now, what makes this so simple to figure out is this is a majority or area control type of game where the person who has the most wolves on an animal is the dominant pack. And they are going to get the victor, the spoils of the hunt. They are going to get all the food. And the way you determine how much food you get is by rolling a dice. And depending on what number comes up, then you will be able to get that much food or that many victory points.
4: Unless it's you and you roll the dice and, you know
2: you walk away with nothing, walk away with nothing, you can miss the, the pack can miss and I miss terribly. I lost so b- you almost lapped me Oh, it was so embarrassing. But that's okay. We'll talk about another interesting aspect of this game. So with that, I was like, Okay, this is area control where because on your turn, you place a wolf, then it goes around the table. And after everybody's placed their wolf, then you resolve who the dominants are. If there are two packs there that are equal in strength, then you have this Flip a coin. I call it battle. Battle. You, know, you have a fight and you all choose do you want to fight or share the spoils, share the food? Now, you two always wanted to fight, but there is a consequence if both packs fight, then you both send a wolf to the injured reserves.
4: Yeah, but we weren't fighting each other much, just you.
2: And I would always try to share. And if you choose to share, you're basically showing your belly.
4: I shared
3: about half the time with you, but I had to catch up to her, and you would never fight her.
2: Well, I was thinking she's in the lead. Maybe she would share, but no, she always she was the
4: aggressor. I went for the win. Isn't that the point? Isn't that what you've taught me all these years?
2: Yeah, I mean, I understand that, but I was like, okay, you can get guarantee points from the, by doing it. So that was that was an interesting concept about the dominant pack versus where you had to share and decide or fight to survive. And if two packs fought, and there was another pack there that was not dominant, they, the two fighting packs would chase each other away and that pack would then get the spoils. That's really the game. It was very simple. There was one thing. I like the livestock token. I went there. Only one wolf pack can go there and you can basically go kill a farmer's livestock. You can get 12, you can get three, or the farmer's going to shoot you.
4: And you did it, what, twice and died both times?
2: No, I died once. But then your amount of area control markers are one less. So you don't have as good a chance. So it's a high gain with 12. But it's a, I mean, it's a, uh, it was a one in three chance that you were going to, one third chance that you were going to um, get anything. Two thirds, you were going to die. That was not fun. My wolf got shot. I didn't like that. So what did you like about it? What did you not like about it?
4: Um, It wasn't my favorite game. I mean, it was very simple and it was pretty fast paced. um, And I don't really have anything bad to say about it. And I I won tremendously. So I should love it. But I don't think it's one of those games I would repeat play all the time because I think I would do the same strategy over and over and I think it would work for me. Kind of like Rebecca with Ticket to Ride.
3: I don't have many bad things to say about it. It was a simple game. It was pretty easy. I think it's um, better for people who aren't here for the complicated games that require a lot of strategy. I didn't really know the strategy to use. And maybe that's why I lost. um, Because I didn't have a strategy. Dad lost. (laughs) Yeah, dad lost, lost. I lost. If you're not a winner, you're a loser. (laughs) But um, no, no bad things to say. It just wasn't something that I would play all the time.
2: But it was fairly fast. You only played five rounds. But did it? do you feel like when I say area control, did it teach that about being able to make sure that you have that and what was the consequences of that?
3: Yeah, I think it did a good job with area control.
2: Artwork was amazing. I thought the animals were very pretty. Yeah. The little wolf meeples, we can salvage this game if we wanted to and use those for another game but no i mean it's it is it is a very light game and it plays up to six people how do you think it would play with six people doing this
3: i think it would become a lot more complicated and there would need to be more strategy um to try and figure out because mom was taking most of the points every single time
4: um so with six people Area control. That's what I was going for. So I kept you guys out of whatever area I wanted to be in so that I didn't have to fight or share. And I just took the points. What game is area control
2: that you like and you don't like?
3: Oh, Small World. Yeah, I love Small World. That's fun. Mom does not like Small World.
2: Do you even remember Small World?
4: No, it's been years since I played Small World because I didn't like it. So you usually play it without me now.
2: Well, that's the base principles. I mean, could you take this game and step up to Small World?
3: Yeah, I think this game is a good introduction to Small World and area control. And Small World's like a, a faster pace, risk. Um, you're more trying to, you know, destroy your neighbor compared to this game, which is just taking um, the most points.
2: All right, that is the alpha from Bicycle Games uh, on compared to Ticket to Ride Japan. Not one of our faves. Rebecca did get to play Lorenzo. And we're going to do a quick segue over there. Quick squirrel. What do you think of Lorenzo? L- Wait a minute. Hold on. i got to do it right. Lorenzo! What do you think of that?
3: Can you remind me which one that is?
2: This one with the three dice roll. And you really, I've, people have already listened to the episode, know that you really messed me up.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. I liked it i thought it was a good game it was one of those worker placement games i had a lot of fun with it i always enjoy worker placement though that's one of my favorite types of games so um it was good it was challenging you needed a lot of strategy and yeah i messed you up
2: yeah you did very last (laughs) one. did you know you were messing me up
3: i knew that was what you were going for and but i wanted it too so i wanted it more (laughs)
2: No, I had to go get the purple meeples first.
3: Right, because you didn't strategize for the last round.
2: Because you messed up the roll.
3: That's true. I did.
2: Yeah, yeah I, the I needed something was terrible. I needed anything greater than a three. No, you didn't do that. You messed me up. Well, I just uh, let's not go into probably anyway. Back to the alpha from bicycle games. Very light family game. You can find it at Target thanks for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Have a safe flight back. You're stuck with me. Hi, This is fun. So one of the things that rolling dice and taking names that happens in our show notes is there's always this question that pops up for Marty. Discussion topic, question mark. (laughs) And I'm like, Wait, why, why, why is it on me to come up with these discussion topics? And he reminds me he comes up with these. I'll come up with those. He's, it's my turn again. Well, let me uh, tell you why. Because I come up with them and you put zero thought into them.
1: And then I'm just the only one talking. So if I think that you come up with it, you'll at least put some thought into it that you'll at least discuss it. Wow. Are you fooled?
2: <laughs> that's not going to happen. I'm going like, okay, how can I answer this question? How can I push this email out of my box? Let me push it down. (laughs) Kick the can down the street, baby. Here it comes. So for this discussion topic as everyone has heard. Gen Con's been canceled. I could be flippant about it. So what? Who cares? I didn't get to go to it anyway. Only 75,000 people go to it. I'm not one of those. But you did. were going to go to it. But I was going to go to it, except this was the week my daughter's moving from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Washington, D.C. It doesn't, doesn't matter. You were still going to it. Well, I'm glad it got canceled. Let's just go there.
1: Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Oh, there would have been
2: issues. There would have been issues. Are you telling me that if I hadn't, we might be looking for a new co-host? I would have been looking for a new co-host. Well, I tell you what. It's a good thing that it was canceled because, well, I, you might need to go ahead and get some some applications in. Well, let me put that on the to-do list for next episode. Then, uh, okay, applications so,
1: for a new co-host in case this happens in the future. Oh, so
2: what? What does it mean? Well, I mean, how? What is the impact to Joe Gamer, uh, Susie Gamer? For me, Marty, I think it is about. The hype, getting what's coming out. It's a way for the publishers to really come to us with their fall releases, their fall fashion lineup. Here's <laughs> yeah. what we got. Here's what we're coming out with. This is what you can expect. Christmas time, it is their ability to go out and say, if you want a game for Christmas or for the shopping season, here it is. All these people are going to come in and talk about it. Some people, it is their one big Black Friday buying spree where they go and get the hot of the hot. Mm -hmm. And so with this being canceled, now
1: what? And you've got in the show notes here that there's two people you wanted to talk about. Impact to the fans, which I guess is what you and me now, an impact to publishers. Can I swap to publishers first? Because I think that's going to answer this question better for me. You can do whatever you want. I'm just going to sit back and listen. Oh, Lord. Here we go. So I was actually listening to some people the other day talk about the impact of publishers for for Gen Con. And I was uh, Pete Shirey from C-Mind Games was talking about this. And he said, I'm glad we're not going to Gen Con. He said uh, it cost a lot of money to go out there now and to get all the volunteers set up and to get them rooms and to cover any costs that they have to get out there. And the cost of the booth, you know, somebody like CMON or Asmodee or Fantasy Flight has huge booths and it costs tons of money. And he says, we don't make that back. So we don't. He said, you know, it may be if we break even that that's great. But he said, to be honest with you, he said in, in today's digital age, if we want to hyper push a game, there are other ways to do it besides being in a convention. Yes, there are 79,000 people there, but he said there are millions of of board gamers out there that don't go and we can still reach them without it. In that aspect, he was saying the big publishers don't need it. The big publishers probably may find us a waste of time. And I was actually talking to some other people about this and they were going, I don't believe that because they said there are some small publishers that thrive on that. And they gave one good example. When I mentioned the publisher Stronghold Games, what do you think of? Stephen Bonacore. Exactly. He has built a face around his that publishing company, right? They're synonymous. When you go to see Stronghold Game, you expect to see Stephen Bonacore there and interact with him and Beth. Yeah. And Beth for the for the cookies and the food and everything, too. Yes, that's 100 percent true. In fact, I go to see her more than Bonacore. But that's beside the point. The idea was that these smaller pu- smaller publishers do need it if they don't have as big of a marketing arm to get the word out about these hot games. So they go to the Gen Con and these smaller publishers who may can catch lightning in a bottle and get that hit. And that buzz that then all of a sudden 79,000 people are talking about that may have not been talking about it before and help make it a hit. So it seemed like what I was hearing was some publishers don't need it. Other smaller one, other smaller ones probably thrive around it.
2: It's a networking too for them, for all the publishers. Yeah, to be able to go in. You talk about the smaller Elf Creek, you know, Atlantis yes. Rising. I saw that. And I was hyped about that game because because I you know the original. And then Honey Buzz, which I saw at Origins, and if they hadn't have been at Origins, I wouldn't have been excited to see it. Mm-hmm. So it does help them out. And Yes, there is an expense, definitely an expense. And that's where the volunteers help out, but yeah, I can understand Pete's point. They're hitting a small amount, but in the digital age, that 70, well, you'll see, I went 75, you went 79, that 85, 85,000, uh, right, which is
1: 95,000 people, exactly
2: uh, right. That hundred thousand people are going uh-huh. to tweet this out, Instagram this out, Twitch this out, jerk this out whatever social media <laughs> tick tock it out
1: i do not know that platform and i don't want to i don't
2: either tick tock out a dance while they're in card holla i don't know what they're i'm doing. impressed you know tick tock very impressive jimmy fallon and okay. um so from that standpoint you know that's that's their free publicity well somewhat free but i can also
1: mm-hmm. see where somebody like fantasy flight let me give an analogy. And uh, this may not be one-to-one, but yeah, I think it's somewhat there. So for the past few years at E3, which is the big electronic uh, gaming ex- entertainment expo that happens out in California in June. It's where the big video game companies come out with all their stuff. A few years ago, Nintendo has said, you know what? We're not going to have a show there. We're going to do these things called directs, where you can just go to YouTube and we'll just announce what's coming out. And people are like... That's crazy not being at E3. You're going to kill yourself. And then all of a sudden, it's like people are like, oh, no, you don't need to have a presence at this big show. Instead, I'm just going to sit here and watch your YouTube channel and get excited about it. This year before E3 was canceled, Sony, who has a brand new PlayStation coming out this year, said, we're not going to go to E3. We're just going to do an online thing also. I think the big people don't need that big show. But all these smaller video game publishers were still planning on going to E3 to show their games off to try to get some traction. And that may be the equivalent for Gen Con. FFG could just do a live stream of everything that's going to be released in the fall. But somebody like Elf Creek Games, if they did it, they wouldn't
2: get as big of an audience. So they need to have like a physical presence to help build some hype. We talk about, you know, Capstone, Inside Up, the list could go on. Yeah. From from that standpoint. So it will be interesting to see how those smaller publishers get their ideas out, how they can build traction. So now
1: going back to your fans comment, let's say, for example, FFG did not attend Gen Con. CMON did not attend Gen Con. Do you think there would be less fans there? Do you think that the attendance would drop or be just the same same number of attendees? The same number. I agree. So that's why, for the fans, I'm wondering: is it really about buying all the latest hot stuff? If some of the bigger companies aren't there, maybe it's just more about getting together
2: with the community and just wanting to hang out and game and stuff for four days. I, I, I'll agree; it's a big meet and greet. But that's where I think with all these big conventions, Origins, BGG Con, Gen Con, Essen, that as things change and possibly as this. Whatever we're living through goes away. The smaller cons may be able to find that leverage where they were possibly not having the attendance they needed. Maybe this is the thing that will help them as we move into the fall winter season. I don't know. I mean, from a fan base, if you don't make it to Gen Con, will you more likely go to Mega Moose Con? Yeah, I think so.
1: Oh, sure. I, yeah. I mean, if you were planning to go to a con this year and you're just dying to go to one, I think you're going to go to whatever whatever you can. That, but to be fair, BGG con compared to Gen Con is two different size cons. You know, that's 3000 versus $160,000. we are just going to keep going up. <laughs> <laughs> I've now doubled it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I, so... Gen Con being canceled, will you have less attendance next year? Will it drop off? Like publishers, I could almost see going, wow, we didn't, do, we didn't have a Gen Con this year and our sales didn't hurt at all. Do we need to attend Gen Con next year? Mm-hmm. I think they may be the ones that go, maybe we don't go. I think the fans though would be like, man, we didn't go to Gen Con this year and I missed it. I'm for sure going next year. I think the fans will bounce back from this quicker than maybe what some publishers will.
2: Just my opinion they're going to go that's it's yep. a thing it's a vacation it is something for them to do and mm-hmm. and more importantly it is the ability to make it to the strike tournament
1: uh, yes which is a huge bummer for us i assume that you've called the spaghetti warehouse and and canceled Old spaghetti
2: factory i uh, will do that <laughs> Well, I was waiting I was waiting for the force majeure contract uh, to uh, oh, kick in so that, you know, I didn't have to, you know, pay for excess meatballs or whatever. Gotcha. you.
1: I understand that. What stinks, y'all, is that Robins Burger is going to have a new edition of Strike that is going to come out and it was going to be released at Gen Con oh. and we were going to have a big, big event with Robins Burger to promote their brand new version, man. It was It was perfect it was perfect timing so we will do it again next year i it was just really bummed out everything was just coming together so well with the timing of the release of the new version of strike i'm
2: i'm just it bums me out but if anything gladiators in the arena will carry forward for one more year because there's no reason don't we get a stay
1: don't we say that it would have ended and we just say it's back up in the air for one more year
2: no because there's no reason <laughs> uh, so if If the WWE doesn't hold the championship, does that take the belt away from Ric Flair? No, he still is reigning champ. If the Super Bowl is not held, does that mean the preceding champs aren't really champs anymore because no Super Bowl was played? No, they're still the champs. Darn you and your logical and fallacies. That's from something I know. I know it is. I've heard it. No, I, I just made it up. Oh, I thought it was from the movie. You always quote movies on me. I do, but that wasn't one. So let us know if the cancellation of Gen Con would cause you not to go to a Gen Con. Wait, no. <laughs> well, no. Are you less likely to go to Gen yeah. Con?
1: If you didn't attend Gen Con this year, are you less likely to go? And Tony, you know, a lot of people are coming out with virtual cons. Which and is, I know it's, oh,
2: they- I, hold on, I, which is I am less likely to do. I, okay, let me rephrase that. I am completely not going to do.
1: People are trying to say this is a substitute and I was getting ready to go down that rabbit hole with you. It is not a substitution. It's a different thing. Mm -hmm. It is something else. The whole beauty of a con is being with somebody else. It's the same with me and playing a digital board game. It's not the same. It does won't feel the same.
2: No. And and from my standpoint, I'm like, okay, I don't even go on Twitchinator to try to watch somebody play some board, uh, some video games. Do you honestly think I'm going to sit there and do the same thing?
1: Yeah, but if you do want to go watch somebody play video <laughs> games, you could go watch my son, Travis, who has started a Twitch channel and he's sitting in college, just kind of bored out of his mind. It's called What a Travesty, T-R-A-V-E-S-T-Y. So if you're part of Twitch and if you go give him a follow, he just needs to get to 50 followers so he can have his Twitch tip jar turned on. He's at thirty right now. He just needs twenty more. Oh what a gosh. travesty on oh Twitch! My gosh. If you would go follow him, that would be that would mean so much to me. Oh,
2: oh good gosh, unreal!
1: <laughs> hey, but Tony, if there is one virtual con you want to go oh, to, I think it comes. needs to
2: be one: The Origins late at night with you and Jamie. I know.
1: Origins Online just announced that Jamie Keggy and I from the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast is gonna be doing the Origins After Dark. This is going to be on June. 19th and 20th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. He and I are going to get on for an hour. We're going to do this like a late night show. We're going to have some contests. We're going to have some banter. We're going to have some skits. We're going to have some guests. So you'll want to uh, make sure to go check out Origins online. It's on Facebook. It's on their uh, website. It's going to be streaming on Twitch on the main channel, Origins After Dark. So if there's one virtual
2: con to go to, I'm confused by that, by the way. Confused by what? No, the, there's no, oh, they're holding origins in October. That's what it was.
1: Well, it's been rescheduled for October. My bets are that still doesn't happen, but
2: yeah, because when I was trying to figure out, because I thought you were doing it, I got all confused with the announcement. I thought it was happening this weekend, but no, it's happening in June. So I got all confused. So I was looking for it, but I'm just an old man in technology. <laughs> I can't help that. <laughs> I'm hoping that maybe. You and I get to play some games.
1: I'm, t- I'm trying to schedule something. We got masks. If you want to, you can go out and buy an RDTN mask from redbubble.com. Get you an RDTN mask, that's put right. it on.
2: Who, who doesn't want a squirrel on their face?
1: That, that's right. That's right. Mean, the, or
2: there's gladiators in the arena. or dice in the bowl. So that can happen for right. you. That's right. Oh,
1: man. 2020 hindsight. We should have got each one of those, shouldn't we? That's all right.
2: Darn it. That's all right. We don't. You uh, only need one and some isopropyl alcohol and keep your mask clean. But either way, keep rolling dice and taking names.
1: Thanks so much for listening to episode 199 of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. If you want to follow us on Instagram, you can do so. Dyson Names on Twitter, at Dyson Names. Follow us on Facebook. Join our BGG Guild 1589. And make sure to come back next episode for our big episode 200.
2: And there's the stinger. (laughs) Hey, why don't you crank up a leaf blower to go with it?
1: Oh my gosh. (sighs) So yeah, so I moved all the recording stuff down here to the office, trying to soundproof it and stuff. I forgot I'm closer to where the family is and guess where the dogs hang out. Mm -hmm. Right outside the door.
2: Marty, dig deep into your soul. No, dig deeper. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) PortalGamesUS.com is releasing the next installment to Detective from our good buddy Rob Davio. Dig deeper. Be sure to go pre-order it now over at PortalGamesUS.com or better yet... Keep filling up that basket because you have the Imperial Settlers storage box where you can put all those factions of Imperial Settlers in a nice organizer that will once again help you get it to the table faster. And if you don't have them all, be sure. What's more, just keep adding stuff to the checkout cart. Go to Empires of the North Roman Banners. And no, I'm not reading the banners as they fly across my screen at portalgamesus.com. Also, Tony, just released on iOS and
1: Google Play you can now get the Imperial Settlers Rollin' Right app. That's right, the popular game that came out last year is now available on your mobile devices. You can play solo, you can play with other people. It's real easy to play on because you haven't got to draw anything. You just got to mark a spot and everything. It works just like the real game. It's very reasonably priced to go pick up a copy, check out the iOS store, or Google Play.